Hey Blenders, on this week's show, the first full trailer for Avatar 2 has hit. Armageddon Time is coming to theaters, and because of that, director James Gray is going to join us for a wonderful chat. Hello Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 235 of Real Blend, a podcast that needs a new way to conclude each show. My name is Sean O'Connell. I'm the managing editor here at Cinema mm. Blend. On this week's show, mm. our first full trailer for Avatar 2. Oh, Kev, do you know uh, Adam Sandler's mm. favorite Jim Cameron movie? Sandler Adam's loves... The, the Way of the Waterboy? There you go, Jakey. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Jake, for, for getting me on that one. Yeah, thank you. Want, uh, that that would have taken me a lot longer anyway. to get there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> uh, all right. Armageddon time is hitting theaters. And because of that, uh, director James Gray joins us for what you guys will realize is, in, is a wonderful chat. Uh, I'll preface this by saying that we each got one question. Uh, so we asked three questions total. And yet... I wouldn't have had it any other way. Uh, no. And you'll see what happens when the interview, when the interview begins um, by, by we, I mean, of course, Kevin McCarthy of Fox five in Washington, DC. Hello, Kevin. How are you, sir? Just still laughing about that water boy joke. That was Thank great. You. I'm doing great. Thank great you. to see you guys. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is that busy time of year. So uh, thank you to everybody who's listening right now, because we have a lot of big guests and, and, and content coming up. So stay tuned. Well, a reminder that we started as an awards podcast, and so uh, this is our time to shine. This is the yeah. this is when we get into the fun stuff that we love talking. about. I was about. really and planning then, on coasting it the rest of the, the rest of the no, year. No, no, we tired. need you to step up, Jake. Come on, I'm tired. We've been carrying you all year. It's, it's your time to shine. <laughs> uh, Jake's Astros are in the World Series, and we're going to be watching them closely tonight. We're recording on Wednesday, Game Four, uh, big one for Jake Hamilton. He's he's from Fox Thirty Two in Chicago, although he reps Houston strongly. Hi, Jake. How are you? Hey, buddy. Um, would you say it's fair to say that uh, this week's interview with James Gray gets a little saucy? He's spicy. And in saucy. ways in ways that, that people don't understand just yet, but but we'll it appreciate it. Gets, I would say it's the it's, sauciest interview we've ever it had. Is, it's about <laughs> as saucy as things get. It uh, starts it, saucy and it ends saucy. <laughs> it's really it saucy. You'll be able yeah. to see how saucy it gets. Oh, this is a great plug for the YouTube channel. There's a visual element to the yes. to the James Gray uh, podcast that you're going to want to tune into the the YouTube channel, um, and that's because Gabe Kobach, the producer, uh, figured out a way to get this visual element included. Hi, Gabe. How are you? I'm good, boys. Welcome to have everybody good. back. Full, yeah. full show this week. Full show. All right. So as I mentioned, if you're uh, if you haven't watched us on YouTube, go over that way youtube.com uh, backslash real blend podcast check out the uh podcast uh, the weekly show in video form of course you can get us all the different places where you listen on uh audio and then on mondays we have a premium episode so if you subscribe to premium you get first off that bonus episode but then you get an ad-free version of the show and a newsletter uh that i write every single week and i will write uh one this week and it's going to be spoiler alert a cheap plug for with great power, how Spider-Man conquered Hollywood during the golden age of blockbusters. Uh, there's a good chance that Kevin's copy of the book may arrive during the show while we're oh, recording it, it. No, it literally. So, right. I mean, I, I'm, I'm on East Coast, so I have I had originally had a delivery of 10 p.m. tonight. Actually, it was supposed to be the 16th of November. And then all of a sudden I get an email saying, oh, no, it'll be here at 10 o'clock on Wednesday, November 2nd. Now 
It's five to eight. So we are in the golden window of love it. Sean's book. So the best part about this, by the I way, is I just went to my uh, my mailbox downstairs right after I got home from being on the air. And I walked in and they had Quentin Tarantino's new book, Cinema Speculation. <gasps> yes. So basically, I have two authors books arriving at my apartment on the same day. One of them is Quentin Tarantino. The other one is Sean O'Connell. There you go. See, not a bad day for. for no, that's a really good books. day to share with. Uh, yeah, I guess I'll just get my copy of the book when freaking ever. <laughs> I don't know why yours keeps getting pushed back. I have no reason. I love no reason that your that. answer to, to there being a delay in me getting my copy is to rent a car and drive out to the suburbs. Or an buy. Uber. Do you not have an Uber app? So you want me to spend $40 going there, $40 going back and then and then pay bookstore prices well, for your book. Jake. Yeah, friendship, oh, friendship would be a free signed copy. <laughs> He's putting a cost. He's putting a, a cost on our friendship, apparently. Yes. Well, then you can wait. You can wait. I don't want to wait. Okay. Well, the audiobook is available if you want to grab the audiobook. I hear your voice you. all the time. I hear you talk about <laughs> Spider-Man all the time. Sean, I, <laughs> yeah, think, I think you're going to sell uh, two copies because I mine comes tomorrow. Okay. But I was looking at my Kindle and I often, sometimes I have like books that are only on Kindle. Sometimes I have books that are only physical and then sometimes i kind of switch just sort of depends if i'm traveling and i'll buy like the kindle version i think i'm also going to get the kindle version wow gabe i'm not opposed to that plan that's friendship don't be afraid to double dip do you have is there an audio version there is yes please please tell me it's you who said who reads it the guy's name is matt uh i'm blanking on his last name um i know that his twitter account is matt's dumb voice but essentially um Tantor Media is the group that handles the audiobook, and they will suggest multiple people to you. Um, it's not always famous people. Like for the Snyder Cut one, the voice of the guy who does Superman for animated cartoons uh, works with them and then read it. Uh, oh, that's so cool. this guy, they, they pitched somebody first and I listened to a couple of samples from him and he was too serious and too dry. Um, and then they pitched this other guy. Matt, who, um, Kev, are you looking it up for me? Is that what you're checking out? No, no, no. I'll, I'll, look, oh, right I'll, I'll look right now. Please look. Uh, look on the audio copy of. Did of you ever, um, or is it an option for you to do it yourself? No, I don't think so. No, no you want to get like an actual performer. It's, I'm it's listening, performance. To, I'm listening yeah. to a lot of audiobooks now, and, and it's kind of an interesting field of production how they do those. And like, I, but like the fact that someone like went into a studio and like read his name your is words. Matt. Weisberg or or sorry Weisgerber or Weisgerber. Okay, I think it's Weisgerber. Weisgerber. Yes, really nice guy. And I'll tell you this: what's surreal is listening to someone reading the book that you wrote. Like it's just it's unnerving because you've spent a lot of time picking the words that you want to go in a certain specific way, and then they're reading it with their inflection, and it's weird in, in a good way. It's cool, but it's it's unusual. So, yeah. Anyway, it's also unusual to uh, listen to ourselves in interviews, which we don't often do. Do you guys ever go back and listen to the interviews? I listened to the Ron Howard one. It weren't. It, I was really. I, mean, happy I listened that to one. that just because I I wanted to hear it. I wasn't a part of it. Um, yeah. But uh, but you know, really, like when, whenever I go back and listen to the show, I actually specifically skip to when I'm speaking. Yeah. And then I yeah. skip to the next part. Jake has me sent him timestamps of all his Yeah, the timestamps of when I speak. <laughs> he just skips through. You should yeah. you should see the edit he has for the Tom Hanks real blend interview. It's just his questions. 
Yeah. Yes. Like we, 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 we aren't even, we aren't and even it's in the edit. We Again, aren't in he, the edit. He asked me to cut out Tom Hanks. It's just, yeah. it's just him smiling and laughing. Yeah. I was surprised <laughs> that Hanks was not in there. It's just Jake's yeah. questions. There's nothing else in the interview. And I also want to point out, because I think up to this point, Kev, you haven't listened to any of the Tarantino interviews, right? I have not. I, I, I have a very, I have a weird um, thing about hearing my own voice and stuff. That's amazing. They're yeah. really good. You should listen to them. I know you were there when they happened. I was but... there. I was physically there. All right. Well, this one is a lot of fun. Uh, so there's a movie called Armageddon Time. It played uh, a couple of different film festivals. Definitely played at Cannes. Uh, it's James Gray. He's coming off of uh, Ad Astra, but has made a number of other uh, really exciting films. We Own the Night and um, uh, Lost, City of Z. Lost City of Z and The Yards. And his new one is Armageddon Time. Again, very personal. Uh, a story about his childhood, essentially, uh, and growing up in New York. And we touch on the autobiographical nature of that. But then also have a, a totally unexpected cooking segment that I think you guys are going to enjoy. Uh, and so without further ado, James Gray, the director of Armageddon Time on the Real Blend podcast. Well, we know you have a big meal to prepare, so we don't want to hold you up for too long. <laughs> oh, did you hear about that? Well, most of the uh, most of the cooking I did this morning... The uh, the problem now is I got to go out and shop for a dessert, which I did not cook. So obviously, oh. I, I couldn't. Well, just make... let us know uh, what time we need to be there, and we'll be right. sure to bring a bottle of wine. Yeah. And what <laughs> I, I am curious, just because we're talking to you before, because like, I mean, this is before some big meal that you're having. Like, what are you thinking about for dessert? Like, like do you have an option in your mind, or do you just go out and just kind of blindly look for something? No, I have something in specific because what you want to do is you match the dish that you make, right? Yeah. With the region, with the what they would have. So, you know, I'm probably going to go with a straight tiramisu. Uh, Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. Wonderful Italian dessert from the center of Italy. And, you know, I'm making a ragu alla bolognese with tagliatelle, which is oh from uh, northern central Italy. And so you match that and you match the wine with it, too. You know, you match a sort of northern Italian wine. Yes. It's very interesting. Italian food is fantastic because it's uh, incredibly regional, you know, to the mm-hmm. point where Rome is very different from a city that's 100 miles north. And they mm-hmm. are very provincial about it. You know, and, uh, Neapolitan food is very different from Roman. And each thinks the other is is terrible. <laughs> if, you, yeah. if you make a ragu in uh bolognese as they call it a kind of bologna style ragu that's very different from a modena ragu so and and modena and bologna are not that far apart so it, my, my own recipe by the way what i do is a combination of modena and bologna which is an absolute uh i mean beyond incomprehensibly offensive thing <laughs> but, I, but I think mine is the best of both worlds. And um, it's part of why New York Italian is very different from uh, Italian Italian. Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, it evolved, you know, because like a, 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 a Roman meatball, for example, would be really small and they usually serve with mashed potatoes and they call it polpette. Mm. They're almost all veal. And the Italian New York meatball is quite large. And it's a combination of breadcrumbs, pecorino romano, beef, pork, and veal. And that's because the New York immigrants were not rich enough to get all veal. So they would cut mm. the veal with mm. other cuts of meat. And, but in doing so, they discovered that, you know, 
I think the New York meatballs better. It, it might be a little there, bit more tasty. There's our headline right there. This is awesome. <laughs> I, I, I want to talk about food, man. This is great. I know. I know. Unfortunately, we're a filmmaker's podcast, so we have to dive <laughs> into uh, the making of Armageddon time. And so uh, I'm going to dive right in with this one. Um, I would love for you to talk about the difficulty. I, I, I perceived a difficulty on my end of walking a, a, a complicated line between making uh, Paul your main character, uh, making him rebellious, um, but not unlikable to the audience or if that's even a concern of yours it's a great question uh i'm not so sure i have the answer i guess what i would say in response to it is you kind of think of it this way is the is what he's doing remotely understandable to you as mm -hmm. the viewer so in other words you know, I was a bit of a jerk, more than a bit of a jerk. I was quite a jerk, for example, to my mother. You know, I'd openly make fun of her to her face and go wah, 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 like this and stuff. I was probably actually worse in real life than the kid is, you know. Okay. But uh, I felt that, you know, that was something that going back even to Charlie Brown, you know, the kind of very famous what, 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 what. It's sort of a, a known thing that, you know, teenagers are almost teenagers regard adults as dopes so you can understand that behavior and then the question is is the other behavior crossing the line well maybe for some it is but i tried to be dare i say as honest about it as i could about honest about his behavior and my behavior as i could mm -hmm. and then let people judge you know mm. it's, it's not an easy question you answer because it, you know some people you'll ask about the film and they'll say the kid seems terrific i love him and it's you know it's normally what kids do and then of course there are other people who say how could you do that to that character he's a little shit i just found it interesting because you often took the perspective of the parent at significant times where we were you know meant to sort of empathize with the difficult positions that they were being put in and maybe it's because i'm a parent of two boys as well too so i viewed it, i viewed it through that lens no that's not a silly thing to say at all it's quite it's quite uh it's quite observant because, you know, making a memoir, it's not really an act of self-aggrandizement. You know, it's not like an excuse for you to talk about how terrific you are. Um, it's really an it's it's an excuse, if anything, to spend time doing in cinema what we ordinarily would do either in the confessional or 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 maybe with the shrink. In other words, you bear everything. You 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 say, here's what's good about me, here's what's bad about me. Here's here's the things that you see are frankly wrong with the world, because that's what makes for uh, dare I use the word art. And that's kind of the best you can do. It's really all you can do. And so when you say that, when I switch to the parents' point of view, you know, the parents are parents are all of us, all of us as parents, because I have three children, we we are incompetent. There's no training really that's adequate for being a grown-up mm -hmm. it's sort of like no matter how old you get no matter how many books you read you're playing house with your wife or or, or husband or whatever uh, you're, you're kind of like you're trying to fashion a home and it's kind of feels like fakery in the bakery but you're trying to do it and so the actions that the parents do i think are actions of love but also ineptitude at the same time not knowing how to handle a kid and that's why grandparents tend to be very, very good for us because, A, they have the practice, they've done it already, 
And of course, B, they get to go home at the end of the day. So <laughs> yes. they, they get to be the good, the good guy. Yes, yes, very true. You know, James, this is a, a film podcast. So we our, our listeners are very much into filmmaking. And I want to geek out with you because the one of the last times I sat down with you was Lost City of Z. And you're telling me amazing stories about shooting on film and having in the jungle and having to ship the film off to get processed, not even knowing what you really got. Um, and I know that you shot at Astra uh, on 35 and then now this is digital. And my question to you originally was going to be, you know, what was the choice of going 35 to digital? And then I was reading today. This is interesting to me that you actually shot digitally, obviously, but then you scanned it to film. Um, and I was wondering if, if you could speak on that, but also the decision of going from 35 to digital, because it, it the movie does look like 35. And I just found that to be you, you really kind of achieved almost an impossible thing that I think when I, when I was watching, it. I thought it was for sure shot on film. You know, I have a, a, a sort of mea culpa to do about that because what you realize is that digital has been tremendously democratizing for the cinema and it's much cheaper. And there are all these people who now make very beautiful films that would not have been able to do it when it was, you know, 35 millimeter stock. But if you leave that aside, because here, you know, the movie was $16 million, which is obviously for today a very small budget, but still affords you enough maybe to shoot on film. But part of the issue is this. That, first of all, Kodak, I mean, I, I, God love them. They're so great. But there's just nobody working there anymore. It's kind of a, a shell of its former self. And they only offer you two stocks. Um, and the stocks are designed for the digital intermediate process. In other words, they're not stocks manufactured anymore to, max, to maximize what we call the sort of look of, of film or older movies. They're sort of weirdly manufactured partly to have a film look, but also for high resolution, for digital scanning. So invariably, what I faced on this movie was we tested the 35 and it looked great, you know, and Darius knows how to shoot. And so it yeah. looked amazing. We actually tested 16 as well, oh, cool. which looked spectacular in a very different way. Yeah. But I found there were huge problems with 16. It wasn't the support system we needed. The mounting the lenses on the camera was impossible. A bunch of different sort of logistical challenges, which maybe we could have figured out if we'd had a lot more time and budget for testing, but we didn't. So then I was faced with this 35 million. Is this really boring? I feel like I'm going no, to This is very oh. much our, this is yeah. our show. This, this is, is very literally, much. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I geeked out with you on Lost City of Z all about your 35. So this is, okay. I, 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 I want to hear your evolution. Yeah. Well, here's the way it, it pans out really. And I'm going to get comfortable to discuss this. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> so then I faced a situation with Darius where we have 35 millimeter film that looks beautiful, but it's made to be scanned and doesn't really look like old film stock. It doesn't. And in order to see grain, it was almost impossible. Like the stock is too good. Mm. So then I took the film and I remember us, uh, I put the, I, we developed the test and I took it home and I put it in the oven for 140, about 140 degrees, the lowest setting for about eight hours, which has something I used to, I did it on the yards, a movie I did 25 years ago or 23 years ago, and it worked great. And we had it developed and it looked exactly the same. And I 
said to Kodak, I said, you know, I put your film in the oven and I baked it. I said, isn't it great? It holds up to anything. I said, no, that's that's not good. I wanted to degrade the image a little bit. So then you realize what you're actually seeking no longer exists. So are you going to be one of those people that stands on ceremony and shoots film just to say you did it? Right, right. Or are you going to try to achieve the actual look that you want? So how would I achieve that look on film? Well, that would mean underexposing at least two stops, maybe pushing the stock, maybe sometimes pulling the stock. It would mean uh, old lenses. It would mean adding grain in the DI. Like all these things that after a while you say to yourself, well, what the hell am I shooting film for? Because I'm doing all this stuff anyway to try and make it look beaten up. Now, I would still have shot film if it were just the Alexa. But on this movie, we used something called, well, you used the Alexa 65. Right. Didn't Quran use that for Roma? And yeah, yeah, that's right. Like, that's yeah. right. And uh, also, uh, um, Alejandro Inaritu used it for The Revenant. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Alejandro raved about the camera, he just said he would uh, never use anything again. And Bong felt the same way. You know, I did the research. I talked to these guys. You know, and Bong, Bong was also like a total film guy. But he was like, no, this camera's the thing. Now, the, the 65 has an insane resolution. But to manipulate it is easier. Because you can see what you're getting on the set as you're doing it. And... You're, you're, it's a direct feed in the DI. Now you're talking about saying, I did not scan the, the, the movie onto film. It was part of our plan. So I don't remember when I said that. I can't remember what part of the. Yeah, I read it in IndieWire. So I wasn't sure what, how, that's why I wanted yeah. to ask you about it. Yeah. You know, it was part of our plan to do it um, after Can because we didn't have time before Can. Can we went with a rough cut and a, it was insanity. Um, we planned on doing it after Can. And when I looked at the tests, it still wasn't really achieving what I wanted because all it was doing was making it look softer, slightly out of focus. It was not adding grain. It was not adding the life that I, I felt I needed. And, you know, uh, Matt Reeves and Greg Frazier did it for Batman. They shot mm -hmm. with the 65 and went to film. Wow. And so I asked Matt about everything that he did. He, he and, and he, he explained to me, there was a very arduous thing. Like some shots look better. You'd have to go, and use a certain stock, blah, blah, blah. And I just didn't have the time or budget or ability to do any of that. So finally, I just used, uh, I applied a, a very old 35 millimeter film grain app, frankly, mm. to the digital file. Wow. And what you're seeing is basically an entirely electronically created simulacrum of 35 millimeter film from 1980. And I have to say, I think it's pretty close. It looks yes. amazing. Wow. I was, yes. I, I was, if someone asked me if this was shot on film, I would have said hundred percent. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, we, we, a, B, towards the end of the process, we AB'd that with, uh, the DI that I did, uh, for a movie called we on the night. Cause that was the oldest mm -hmm. I had a DI for. And we couldn't tell the difference. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's outstanding. Thank you for doing that. That, that yeah. is, this is very much the show for that, that moment we that just had. Awesome. I can I can totally nerd out for you. And the thing is also, 
What was very important were the lenses. That's actually more important even in some cases than stock or, you know, film stock or digital or any of that. Because the, the, the lens, the glass, basically the audience sees two things. The audience sees lenses and stock or, you know, whether it's digital or not. So then you say to yourself, if you resolve one part of it, which is the question of how to treat the digital, um, the, the the lenses were these what they're called super Baltar lenses. They're owned yeah. by a great cinematographer named Ed Lockman, mm-hmm. who I've known for many years, and Darius has known for many years. He works a lot with Todd Haynes. He's a legend. And Ed let us use his lenses, and they're very old glass, and they look weird. Actually, there's a little <laughs> the center of the frame is very sharp. Mm-hmm. And the it starts to fall apart around the edges. Mm-hmm. So you'll notice there are shots, for example, there's a wide shot of Tony Hopkins putting the kid to bed. And the kid is at the edge of the frame, is out of focus, but Tony's in focus. And they're both huh. in the same focal plane. So the focus puller, who was one of the great focus pullers of all time, a guy named Eric Swanick, he did an incredible job, but the movie was a vexing challenge for him. Wow. But that's, that's that's how you got it. You got it basically with the old lenses. You got it with a film grain look applied. Now, I would be lying if I if I didn't tell you that I was very jealous of anybody making a film through about three or four months from now, because they are coming out with a whole new app, which finally I think bridges the gap. Do you know about temporal resolution? I do not. No. In a digital image, you're basically getting the same grid with pixels each frame. And with 35 millimeter film, you're getting the grain is moving with every frame, the photochemical mm-hmm. process. So that's part of the reason that film looks better because digital, in order to get that look, you would have had to basically fill the entire Empire State Building with hard drives to, to, to do that. But there's an app apparently coming down the, the pike, like in a matter of months, which my color timer has seen. And apparently it gives you a kind of a new grain structure, visual information thing, every single frame. Oh my I God. Exactly, I don't know exactly the details of it yet, because obviously it's not out. But he said that it was the greatest thing he'd ever seen. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it looked incredible. That's incredible. Uh, That's great. Now that we're moving out completely. See, you got me started. If if Kodak tomorrow said we are going to manufacture, even though it's 100 ISO or whatever it was, a slow stock, but that we used to shoot Barry Lyndon or or The Godfather, or something, or Clute, or something like that, which probably was uh, 5263 or 5254. I can't remember the emulsion number. Um, that would be incredible, and I would use it ASAP. Right. Mm. But it takes tens of millions of dollars and a huge amount of uh, retooling to be able to do that. Now, having said that, uh, I've certainly I've spoken to Chris Nolan about it, who's very dogmatic about film, and he's obviously tried to 
get Kodak to do such a thing. And Hoyte van Hoytema, who's a cinematographer, both Chris and I have worked with. Has At Astra. That's right. Has certainly tried to get them to do it and stuff. Who knows? Maybe they will take the plunge because they have gone weirdly retro with like Super 8 cameras and things like that. But that would be the greatest because we then, will you know, never live to see the day when Mr. Nolan goes goes digital. <laughs> we'll never. Let me say this: that guy, God bless him, he still cuts negative. Yeah, which, yeah. I mean that's fantastic, and I love right. him to pieces. He's great, great person too. Um, but not all of us have the resources that if the negative cutter makes a grievous error, to be able to fix that. I mean, right. we forget, we romanticize film. I mean, I'm old, so I can remember going into the negative cutters and seeing your film in just these strips all over the floor. And I, you would, right. I would sit there like, yeah, yeah. You know, and they did make mistakes. They did. Oh, we had a quick conversation about uh, with uh, Sylvester Stallone, who was restoring Rocky IV. Uh, and he talked about when they opened up the boxes that the studio had maintained that it was chopped to pieces and it would, there were like sections where he wanted to go back and, and like rework and whoever had cut it at the time had just cut it to the place where he couldn't work with it anymore. And he said it was heartbreaking. That was all, it's all he had left of, of his film. So then, yeah. So what he did was he, well, first of all, that's shocking to me that something like Rocky IV's negative would be so in such bad shape. Although I shouldn't be surprised because, you know, Spielberg has been public about this, that Jaws was in terrible shape before a big restoration where they spent a lot of money. But that tells you if Jaws is in terrible shape. Right. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. No. What other movies that we are not so famous, you know, it's. Stallone said, stop or my mom will shoot was in the best shape possible. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> he said. But his Rocky, his Rocky masters were were destroyed. <laughs> mm. Even the first Rocky, they never restored. Did any kind of work on that? The first Rocky they did? I don't believe so. I don't wow, that's, so. that's astounding. Well, well, you know what? It's not, right? Because even that's why we keep getting a new version of The Godfather every five mm. minutes. Because <laughs> that what they used to do, obviously, they had their negative, right? And then you, you, you had your camera negative, which then was... Uh, you had to run it through the Hazeltine printer a maximum really of three times without getting it damaged to adjust the what they call the printer lights, the color, all that, the timing. Um, and then they would run that negative to make prints. And, you know, if your movie was a big hit, ironically, you actually ran more risk. Jaws and The Godfather and Rocky were big hits, so they ran tons off the original negative. Oh, wow. So that's probably why they're in terrible shape. Interesting. That's interesting. After my mom will shoot. I don't know if there was a lot of call for that. <laughs> that, that American classic? <laughs> uh, James, I think we've passed our time, but I haven't gotten in a question yet. Do you mind if we squeeze in no, one no, more before, you, before I, we I, let you go? Go ahead. Well, I'm going to get a little, just kind of big picture uh, for you because because the three of us are are strangers to you. And, and this is such a personal story. And, and it's talking about some of the most intimate moments of your life with the closest people in your life. But everyone who goes to see it, for the most part, when that audience is full, it's going to be complete and total stranger. So how do you decide as a storyteller, I guess, just what we have the right to know and what we don't have the right to know? Because there are a lot of things that I wouldn't stop someone on the street and tell them these intimate moments of my life, but you're kind of doing the cinematic equivalent of that. That's, that's an amazing question. Okay. Let me think about how I would respond to that. 
that's a great question. I guess the answer is, I guess the you stumped me a little bit here. The answer is, I guess I didn't, because I didn't think about where the line was and just do it as honestly as I could. I mean, there are things in it, mm-hmm. not just for me or about me, but uh, frankly about the world, about my mm-hmm. friend Johnny, or the character, the real person who's not named that, but it, it's it's painful as hell. Mm-hmm. But that's life. You know, there's a difference in a movie like this. You can't really get away with, see, a lot of cinema is beautiful when it tells you the world as you wish it were, like it's a fable or something. Like you don't watch, I don't know, uh, Empire Strikes Back and go, that's realistic. I mean, that wouldn't make any sense, right? The cloud city of Besman. It's like some kind of mythic gorgiosity takes hold. And the cinema can do that. It's amazing. But if you're doing a memoir like that, I, I don't really know what that would mean. So part of what I was trying to do was say, sadness and beauty are not uh, exclusive to each other and humor can live with tragedy at the same time. And all of this is what our lives are about. No one's life is free from good jokes. No one's life is free from disaster. So I tried to say, have at it. I'm gonna show you everything. Now, by the way, let's be clear here. There are some people who love that. And there are some mm-hmm. people who say, I don't want to see that. That's crap. Yeah, sure. But that's the case with every movie. That's sure. the case with every movie. My father used to say, I don't care about, you know, uh, Star Wars because I don't want to see little robots talking. So, and that's <laughs> like the most popular movie ever in terms of tickets sold, or maybe it was certainly the top three or whatever. So no movie, no matter what it is, is going to be for everybody. Sure. I'm just trying to stay true to what the tradition is for this kind of movie and that is, uh, it sort of to attempt to answer your excellent question, which stumped me a little bit. I didn't have a line. Put put everything in there. Most awful things can be said by children. Mm-hmm. You know, children are not innocents. Right. Children lie and are deceitful and can be bullies and bigots. They repeat what they've heard at home from their parents. And so I was just trying to say, here's the world as I think it was. Well, and I think it made the film all the better. That's yeah. what you try. James, I wish we had more time with yeah, you, we, honestly. Yeah. This was a fantastic conversation. We loved having you on the show. Um, but we know well, you have so much going on and and that you have to well, get back to it. Yeah, now I have to go get tiramisu. <laughs> yes. <laughs> please, please come back on the show because we'd love for you to be a regular guest. Well, that's so sweet of you. I, I, I've loved this. And you asked... Um, Fantastic questions. You stumped me with the last one. I don't know the answer. We saved Jake Jake for the end. (laughs) He's our closer. I wondered to myself, as you asked that, and I listened to it, I thought, oh, my God. And I wondered if anybody could answer that, like any creative person, because when you're trying to do something, you're not consciously censoring yourself most of the time. Mm -hmm. So then you ask yourself, well, wait a minute, should I be putting that in there? But that comes way later and maybe too late. Right, right. James, you should come back on uh, next time like when, like when we have more time because this show is designed for filmmaking fans and like 
you'd be like a great co-host. That'd be amazing yeah. to have you on as like a co-host one time for one of oh. our episodes, man. Uh, you, you know, I'm like a fungus. I grow on you, but not in the best way. You know, it's it's. <laughs> I think you'd get quite sick of me. Or you're like glitter, and once you're honest, we can't get you off. Yeah, man, <laughs> dude. I remember talking to you at Lost City Z about film, man. I love I love your takes on that stuff. If you bring man, so. a, if you bring a jar of this sauce you were speaking about, yes. then, uh, yes. then you're in. And you're in. So if if my it won't, but if my computer would keep because I'm in the guest house right now, which is kind sure. of a you know, place for my kids to hang out more or less. But uh, if I were to walk across the garden, and if I could stay connected, which I can't, I would because my it'll cut us off. I would show you the sauce. It's cooking now. Ah. Uh, oh. Well, just come over. Don't worry. We'll be there in like an hour. <laughs> Hold on. You know what I can do, and then I promise I'll let you go. Hold on. Okay. Here's what I can do. I can show you. Check this out. I you know what I have a photograph of it, which I just took. Oh my god, this is the best. Wife. Can you see this? I just texted it. Let's see if you can see it. Oh my god, it looks incredible. Yeah, oh, yeah there's, wow. two, there's two pots. Yes, I made mind. I made double the amount. Dude, wow. Was yeah, that picture taken on film or digital? I'm just kidding. No, I'm oh, kidding. <laughs> I just opened it. I, I just opened it and I got extremely excited. Oh, man, that looks amazing, dude. Oh, man. Oh, wow. James, James, thank James, you so thank much you, for sir. your time. You were amazing. Appreciate you. Awesome. Congratulations on the film. It was, it's wonderful, thank man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. Thank you so much to James Gray for joining us on the show. Um, we should never do interviews like that uh, when none of us have had dinner. <laughs> Because he showed us a picture of that homemade sauce, and I just wanted to climb through my monitor and sample it. And I do hope somewhere in the back of my mind that he jars some of it and sends it to us somehow, because that would be. Oh, I didn't think about that. I don't think that's going to happen. No, no. Well, it was a great interview, though. A boy can dream. We had a lot of questions for him. I had really really good. I had good questions that I wanted to get to. (laughs) And I think he would have hung out if we had more time. I mean, I had to beg to get one it, i think it's the first time i've ever had to beg to get one question <laughs> also yeah. like like one of the one of the things i was telling you guys yesterday which i found really cool about this was it was the constraints of it that made it better because like you, you always hear about this this saying necessity is the mother of invention right so like again i'm not comparing us to jaws or spielberg but the, one of the things i found interesting about you know jaws for example is it's great because of the problems or the or the limitations that they had and that made the film great. And in this case, we were told beforehand, as you guys, as you heard in the interview, 
that he had a big meal and we were only going to get 20 minutes. And so it was like and we were all like, you know, we had two questions, three questions each. And and it just turned out that he was just awesome in that setting because there was there was this like clock ticking throughout the interview. And we knew yeah. that he had to go out and buy. His <laughs> oh, my God, he's got that big meal. It's, yeah, it's and also like probably the first time, at least for me, I don't know about you guys. I've ever been told he's got to get out at this time. He's yeah. cooking a big meal. Yeah. And, and what's funny about that was like we heard that and we kind of joked about it. So like I think yeah. at the top of the interview, I don't remember what, how it came up. But I think some I think I said to him, like, what what dessert are you going out to get? Because he said he had to make a dessert or and he's like, I'm going to get a tiramisu. So we knew that he had to get somewhere. This was like Tom Hanks having to get to Lisa Marie Presley and Priscilla Presley <laughs> after our real blend interview. <laughs> yeah, and then him staying an extra 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But again, it's another one where the time constraint was 20 and it actually yielded a much more interesting conversation because we were on a clock like that. Yep. So uh, it was really cool. And, you know, James Gray did a really good job with this film. So I'm looking forward to people seeing it after hearing that. So I hope we get him back too. I hope he becomes a regular. Uh, that would be yep. a lot of fun. So, all right. So we're going to catch up with Black Adam uh, real fast, which dropped 59% in its second weekend. It is currently at $252 million worldwide. Not gangbusters, but I think pretty good uh, for this movie. Where, where do you guys feel about, how do you feel about 252 uh, worldwide after two significant weekends and the 50, 59% drop, which is pretty average. Yeah, 59%, I was looking at a chart, is right in the middle of, like, quite literally in the middle of DC drops, with, like, among the best, smallest drops being uh, Aquaman and and Wonder Woman, and um, and then I think even, like, Shazam was maybe, like, held a little bit better. Um, and then, but then, you know, you always have to take things in context, because, like, Man of Steel had a bigger drop than Black Adam, but also opened significantly bigger. Mm. Um, so Man of Steel's second weekend was around what Black Adam did opening weekend. Um, but I feel like 59 percent like, a de- you know, like I feel like everything about this movie is perf- it's either performing better than everyone seems to think it, is, it was going to or people were just uh, ir- irrationally throwing negative um, predictions at it because everyone thought that once the reviews dropped that like maybe it was going to do low 60s maybe even high 50s and it ended up mm-hmm. doing what 67 um, I saw a lot of people predicting somewhere in a 60 to maybe even a 70% drop and ended up dropping 59% like mm-hmm. it keeps not like overwhelmingly beating projections but it's staying ahead of these like negative perceptions that people are throwing at it um, I'm curious to see what Wakanda Forever is going to do to it? What it's got one more weekend oh, to kind of clean true. up before Wakanda Forever um, yeah. comes in. But I mean, what what did we say that that it's got to for it to be considered a success? What number did we put out there world, worldwide? I mean, I, 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 production over budget five hundred. Yeah, it was production budget is two hundred. Yeah, that, that's yeah, yeah, that's so five hundred to to break even. At what point do we call it a success? It's not going to break 500. Also. It's got to be seven. It's, I think it's got to be over 700 because like BBS didn't do that. You don't that. think it's going to do, you don't think it's going to do 500 worldwide? No, it's still, it's still, it doesn't have, it hasn't opened in China yet. Oh, I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. I'm looking at 254 right now. We're in the third week of release. Uh, Black Panther opens next weekend. Um, you, I don't know if I can see this doing another 250 million. Can you see it doing another no. 250? No, it's a lot it's of gonna money. Be, it's going to be tough. If, if it didn't have Black Panther coming right behind it. When maybe? is the China release? I don't know. I'm not I want to sure. say I read uh, December. OK, it could do well. Um, it says I don't uh, know. scheduled to be released in China on November 11th. Oh, sorry. Oh, Black S- Panther Day. S- 
So, yeah. So, so wait, does Black Panther come out in China that day? Let me check. On to forever. The point being that I think Dwayne Johnson weirdly has powered this to uh, to do better than expected based mm-hmm. on the initial uh, critical reaction to it. And yet not quite uh, up to the standards of something that would guarantee a sequel, something where it made like so much money that you had to yeah. be like, oh, my God, green light Black Adam two right now. I mean, obviously, 254 million is a lot of money. And we've talked about this in the show before. And Jay brings this up as well. At the end of the day. You know, reportedly the film costs somewhere around 200 million from what I understand. Mm-hmm. And then you sure. got PNA, obviously. That's why we throw out a number like 500 to 700 million, because they have to basically cover the production cost and the pro- promotion cost and all those all those things. And he so, did a worldwide tour. Right. Yep. Yeah. So honestly, if that movie makes 500 million, it's to give a little context to the, we're talking about. Chinese market opening up. Now, this was six years ago, but for BVS, which made 873 worldwide, mm-hmm. its lifetime gross in China was only 95 million. E, okay. Right. So, so, again, this was six years ago, so who knows what the appetite is. But also, or, um, can you check, and I don't know if it's worth taking the time to do this, how well Dwayne Johnson's movies do? Because I feel like uh, I feel like what his movie is comparable for this. Of a Dwayne, use, there's um, different Dwayne Johnson movies, you know, like Fast like and Skyscraper. Furious. What about, what about Jumanji? Jumanji. Okay. Oh, Jumanji would be a good one. And what, what's interesting about this, though, is like, again, like 250 is obviously a lot of money. But think about that. That is such a front loaded number from the past yeah. two weeks of release. Like, do you think it has enough steam? Like, I'm almost worried about it breaking 41 four million for, for the next level. Mm, okay. Right. So right. with that information, I don't even know if it's going to break 400. Yeah, yeah, might not. Might and not. is that a success or a failure? I, th- I a, think it keeps plowing through like November. I, I, I think like maybe it, it takes Panther? a dip with. Well, it's not it's not going to go to zero. Yeah, no, like, it's, it's, it's not going to be set to zero. So, I, you know, I, I think how many screens does it lose? How many screens? True, because it's got a whole Panther's, whole yeah. other weekend before Black Panther. Because it's, yeah. it's got this whole upcoming. So it's got um what? It's got eight day because it technically Black Panther opens on the 10th. Right. We're going to call it the 10th because mm-hmm. of previews. So it's got. Eight days to where it's got a clear field to make money before it even starts being impacted. So, yeah. like, I I think it's going to be fine. Because it's going to lose screens. It's going to lose every oh, premium, yeah. every premium screen you could think of. Sure, but keep in mind, Panther. as of now, it's been, it, let's see. So, so Friday to Friday, seven days. And then the second week, so Saturday, Sunday, Monday, oh, Tuesday, no Wednesday. Math. It's only been <laughs> out uh, 12 days. Yeah. Okay. So $250 million worldwide in 12 days is not bad. Now, wait a second. Now, comparing that now and now again, I know this is not a fair comparison, but just just stand with me here for a second. Avengers Endgame opening weekend. Oh, my God. You can't. Hold on a second. second. I'm just saying, I think it made, did it do a billion in its first weekend? Yeah, $1.2 billion Opening weekend. Now, I'm but not, that would I'm, be listen, like, but that on, would be like, 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 like me stepping on the basketball court and being like, well, Michael finish. Jordan did let way better finish. than Jake. Wait, let, let him God, finish. Let, me finish, my let point. him finish. The point I'm making is this: so if a movie made 250 million dollars in its first 12 days, okay, I'm not saying Endgame and Black Adam are comparable in terms of like anticipation and release. But the point I'm making is, and Avengers Endgame is Marvel. And it made one point two billion dollars in its first weekend. So my point being is if Black Panther is opening on the 11th and that's a Marvel property, you don't think that that's going to just trounce everything in Black Adam's past and past. So So my point being is that like, so, okay, so we're at 250 right now. Let's say it makes another 
75 million this weekend, whatever, and worldwide. I'm just throwing a number out. Um, that brings us to 325, 330. Does this film break 500 million? I want to ask all you guys this right yes. now. Yes. On, I think so, yes. Yes, it I don't does. Think it does. I think it does. Kevin, okay. you, you lost a bet to me that you didn't think it was going to make $50 million opening weekend. Yeah, but, you, but you're bringing back old bets and mistakes that I made. That's fine. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm letting you know that this is where I'm at based on the facts that I'm looking at I now. Say yes I say yes to think 500 the film million. Gabe, is it break 500 million? I don't think so. I think you it drops think so? another 35 to 40 percent this weekend and then it practically i mean who who knows what other markets outside of china that also it hasn't opened up in maybe that'll push worldwide because oh, I, I mean aside if, from if we're kind of china is going to give it 60 million less than 100 million more, yeah like maybe china is will, now investing in their own films they're turning out for their if, own products if bvs did 90 million that's batman and superman yeah Black Adam's probably not going to make over 50 in China. I just, I, I, but what aside from Black Panther, what other major competition does Black Adam have in the month of uh, November? I, I just think it's one of the, you know, we often talk about those movies that like well, but, we but kind the, of forget about and then look up and go, oh my God, that made another hundred well, million dollars after we stopped talking about it. Well, I think it's front loaded. To your point though, you're talking about what does it have for the rest of November? Black Panther is the competition for the rest of November. Thanksgiving movie. Yeah. Black Panther is the movie that people are going to go see on Thanksgiving with their families. Like, like it's like, like uh, they, I don't know. They will see. We'll see how reactions I think it's going to be, it, I think that's going to be front loaded also. I must say, well, every movie obviously clearly is front loaded. My point is in this instance, while two fifty sounds like a lot of money, in yeah. terms of what this cost and what the promotion cost and what's coming up, I really don't think it's going to have the legs that you guys. But let me. OK, so let me transition over and tell you why I don't think any of this matters. Everything that we just discussed. It doesn't matter. doesn't like necessarily have. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> because of the introduction of uh, James Gunn and Peter Safran uh, in DC films, right? Which I know you guys discussed on the show last week, but I didn't get a chance to sort of weigh in uh, on their addition. They are coming in with a clean slate and Black Adam is the last movie to kind of open not under their regime, right? So they can go move forward and use Black Adam in whatever way that they now that the new team seems fit. It's almost like if a if a Kevin, I'm sorry, but I'm going to use sports analogies. If a football coach gets <laughs> fired and when they step in, they have a quarterback that they didn't draft. Right. Um, they're not penalized moving forward about how bad that quarterback might have been. Uh, going, you know, doing whatever they were going to do, they can point and say, well, they didn't know how to do Black Adam. And now we're going to use Black Adam and move forward. So all this box I office talk, that. In a, I got in that a reference. normal situation. Oh, good. In a normal situation. Reference. Well, you've been watching the World Series a lot, so I'm, pr- I'm uh, proud of you. Yeah. Your commentary during the World Series is terrific. Yeah. Also, um, I mean, I'm in D.C. right now and that Dan Snyder news just broke. So there's a lot going on in the sports and in, in this area. Massive. That was yeah. massive. It's a little bit like James Gunn uh, being able to do the Suicide Squad after David Ayer's movie didn't do as well. Like he was able to come in and say, I'm starting over. I'm starting over with some some of the characters that you like, some that you don't like, but I'm going to do my stamp on it. That's going to be his his impact on the DC universe moving forward. He doesn't have to necessarily factor in the decisions that were made on those previous movies, because for the most part, a lot of them were mistakes. He can pick and choose the ones that he wants to continue with. Oh, Henry Cavill works. Let's take him back over and let's move in, in and potentially launch a Superman movie. Um, I think it's a brand new day. You know, I think it's I think it can go in a number of exciting ways. 
And this is almost Black Adam in the way that it's performing is almost like the death knell of the way that the DCEU has been for the uh, the better part of the past 10 years. I think Black Panther is going to open up to more than Black Adam has made in its 12 days. No, I think Black no, no, Panther's no. opening worldwide will be bigger than what Black Adam has made in its first two weeks. Then t- you think it's going to open to more than 256? 100 percent domestically or world, well, no, worldwide. worldwide worldwide 256 is the yeah. worldwide number so i think because well, i mean they're already calling they're all like already calling for like 175 to yeah, 200 <laughs> for domestic domestic okay i yeah, didn't know you meant worldwide well right but remember the number we're referring to with black adam is a worldwide number yeah. 256 yeah so yeah, that's yeah. a worldwide and you guys remember number. 2018 black panthers opening weekend domestic well, right what was 200? it 202 yeah what was the worldwide opening on that? Do you know that worldwide Ooh, opening? That's harder to say. Keep pa- talking. Pa- Panther is um, Black Panther two Wakanda Forever is long. It's long. It's long. It's like two forty five, two forty one. Yeah, two hours. Which is insane because okay, let's switch over to uh, Avatar: The Way of the Water Boy uh, trailer reaction. <laughs> this movie's three hours. It's three hours and ten three minutes. Ten. Eight minutes. Yeah, you think, nine minutes wait, wait, I mean, but does that really surprise that? Like all of James Cameron's movies are. No, three ten. No, the first Avatar was like two the hours. First, the first Avatar, no, the first Avatar is three hours. Like Titanic, it's a, it's a two forty-two. Two forty-two. First Avatar. I don't think James Cameron really? made a three-hour movie. Titanic is three Holy hours. Well, Titanic. Yeah. Do you think that the distributors, the exhibitors, uh, you know, I, I don't know what their reaction. I want to know what their reaction was when they were told that Avatar: The Way of the Water Boy is three hours and ten minutes. Dude, I, that, I, that's that trailer got. Over a, over a million and a half views on YouTube in its first hour on the Avatar channel. That movie is going to make so much money. They don't care how long it is. I They're do gonna, seem to run into a lot of people these days who are very excited about that movie. Like, weirdly excited about that movie. And like, interesting. People yeah, I, who I've never heard talk about Avatar in their lives are now like <laughs> painting themselves blue. Because it, 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 we, we actually do forget how big of a worldwide phenomenon it was. And like and, it, and what's interesting is like I and while it is the biggest movie of all time, I've been very vocal on the show that I don't like that film. And I think a lot of us, neither of any of us like that film, really. I mean, visually, it was great. But, you know, story wise, I tried but hard to go back and rewatch it and I couldn't. It doesn't work. I mean, I, I watched it. I made it all the way through it. But it was like, ugh. You're searching for an item you can't find. It's called unobtainium. I just don't like you got to be really careful about like how. So my my thought process, I texted you guys this earlier today. I'm excited primarily because of his track record, like going into Avatar when those trailers launched and it was like from the director of T2 and True Lies. I was like all in, you know, T2 is my favorite movie of all time. Now, I think Avatar was a miss personally in terms of his filmography, but. I do believe that he learned his lesson. I think this is going to be insane. I'm, I'm okay. coming around. But I got to say, and we texted about this this morning, the new trailer does nothing for me. Like, I, you know, I, I say that I'm excited for the film because it's James Cameron, because like the, the significance of a sequel to the highest grossing film of all time. But in terms of what they've shown us, like it, nothing about the plot makes me think, oh, I'm excited to see what happens there and like i know there's a lot of new technology and a lot of new developments a lot of money poured into the, all of the motion captures to to really make us look like these these creatures are real. i gotta be honest it just looks like a very well-made animated film to me it looks mm-hmm. like a very 
beautiful like cgi animation you know pixar sort of it just it, it doesn't look real to me it just doesn't also but to Gabe's to, point we're watching it compressed on youtube and, and, and again but i felt that way about the first film right the fableman's trailer or something like that th- that, that looks real to me those look like real people the point i'm making is that works in a youtube setting it's like it, it's a dramatic it's a dramatic film it's not a lot of high visual effects i do believe it's unfair especially with the technological advances he's probably make, made since the first Avatar to judge it based on a YouTube trailer. No, no, no. Um, okay, but, but wait, but wait. You know. Let me get into my issues of it really fast because they're not tied to visuals at all. Um, there's the lengthiest setup through the course of the trailer is about someone who we haven't met yet hearing someone's heartbeat, right? Right. I hear her heartbeat. How does it sound? It sounds... Who are they, who are they talking about? I don't even know whose heartbeat they're talking about. I For a minute it, there... I thought, I thought that they were the talking tree? about Zoe Saldana's the tree. They're talking about the tree. Oh, honestly, heartbeat. I honestly thought it was Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney, we- I thought it was Zoe Saldana's, and I thought, did Zoe Saldana's character die in the movie? Like, I, I didn't understand. Then you the go tree through- gets burned down, though. Oh, mother of God! It's the tree's heartbeat. <laughs> well, they connect to the tree. The tree was like the source of yeah, life. Man. I haven't I seen this movie in like eight years, but I'm pretty sure the tree was like a big source of life. For them. I don't think the tree was, was a like thing. The first Avatar, in yeah. the trailer, what I'll say in the trailer, she says that, and then I believe it cuts to the image of that like tree. Okay, and then it the, gets the the the, tree gets the kicker, burned, right? The kicker, which is supposed to be the moment at the end of the trailer where where you say like, "Give me a ticket to that movie right now!" Right? <laughs> it's Sam Worthington talking to Zoe Saldana's character, and he's like, "I'm gonna need you," you know full throttle like open heart whatever you're gonna do and she reaches down to pick up her bow and i was like was she out of the fight like well i don't understand like they didn't do anything in that trailer narratively to convince me like oh this story is gonna be something else now I, maybe it's a three-hour movie and they're trying to cut it down to a two-minute trailer and fine there's there's fine, that but, but i i do think there was there was a lot there was there but it just wasn't spelled out in the dialogue like there's images of her pregnant i'm pretty yeah. sure and I yeah. and I think with the teaser trailer that came out before, from what I understand, the story is, I I think that they've like lost their home in the first one because the tree gets okay. burned down and like that's like the source of their community. And so I believe they're sort of like nomadic potentially at this point, but he's okay. settled down. They have children. They have a family. They're definitely going to this like water tribe or this like other people that live in the water, the way of water. There were others. Yes. And there yeah. was some conflict there about them joining them. Um, and so I believe when he says that, I think she, I assumed because I maybe you've not seen she's pregnant or not, but I assumed she, that she had taken a more like settled down, like familial okay. role, maternal they had. role. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like just the family has settled down or whatever. And now the fight is back and he's like, you're a badass. I need you to, I, I we're going to have to go after this. I thought the action looked really cool. It's, so did I. It was quick and stuff, but it like, it looked like James Cameron, showed up yeah. when it came Dude, to did, the set pieces so far did, we all saw Gabe, very you, little of it but i thought it was cool game when like when they went to like so they like the most of the trailer obviously has that water bluish vibe to it but when they would cut to those like darker scenes uh-huh. and like the the well, like, underwater the, like the darker scenes underwater or no like even like even like in the fi- anything with fire with fire um, it yeah, just yeah, yeah. looked insane and then those like alien type robots that are like running that they were in the they first one cool. Yeah, oh, yeah it looks the, cool. The robots underwater also looked really cool. Yeah. Oh, but he's I mean, also I, doing 
he's doing uh, Jack and, and Rose in a in a tunnel that's filling with water, though. That's <laughs> so true. the characters are running through some place and the water's yeah. climbing up. And I was like, oh, I hope he's not handcuffed I- to a pipe somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I have a question for you guys. If if Avatar 2 comes out yes. and you're disappointed. Right. Uh-huh. And you then know that when it comes to Avatar, in, th- in yeah. theory, if he goes yeah. 0, 0 for 2 with Avatar yeah. and we've got three more to go, mm. how does it change your perception of not James Cameron, the director, because he, you can never take back what he's done up to this point. But <laughs> James Cameron at this point in his career, how, do, how does it change how you perceive him to be the director that he became today? If, if Avatar 2 is a miss. It's an interesting question because like there are filmmakers that I've already kind of gone through that with like Francis Ford Coppola, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, sure. Coppola has a track record a good of comparison. classics. Right. And but like nowadays, I don't I, I probably wouldn't be as excited as a new release for his just because the films he's done over the past couple, you know, decade or whatever, yeah. haven't spoken to me as much as I as, as the, the Godfather and Conversation and Apocalypse Now and Rumblefish. And so I. I I think it's an interesting question because when we were texting about it today. It's like basically, if you think about it on baseball terms, I'm gonna go sportsy here, Sean. Uh, I love spicy. sports, Kevin. I'm loving sports, Kevin, lately. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm kind of invested in this World Series because of the whole Bryce Harper thing, but that's a whole other story. But in terms of like batting average, generally speaking, that dude is a Hall of Fame director. I mean, in terms of like, well, three in baseball, three hundred gets you into the Hall of Fame, right? I mean, this guy has. You know, Abyss, True Lies, Titanic, Terminator One, Terminator Two, sure, and then Avatar. But so, then, okay, then let me ask you: Is it is it a career with an asterisk next to it, mm-hmm. where it's like you talk about, like, oh my God, James Cameron was great. He, he ended his career with all those Avatar movies. But my God, early, do you start well, dividing Cameron based on before and after Avatar? Yes, yes well, I, I think you do. Well, I, the, the, I think you do. The, the only thing that saves him from the division, and again, I, I do not believe that money equals quality agreed but but because like the first terminator didn't necessarily break the bank right but his loss his uh his losing movie out of all the films he's done if you want to call it that is the highest grossing film of all time sure so i i I don't even listen you're not wrong i mean but okay but then you have to keep in mind then then you have to equate that for michael bay as well like and then like term that means that means transformers too with the big metal balls i know i know like then that you know that's well, last thing I'll say is this real quick is in terms of when you're when you're watching a film like this, like you're, Jake's not wrong. Like when I sat down and watched the first Avatar, when it ended, like my heart sank a little bit. I was like, I mean, I was like, that was cool visually, but that was the same guy who did my favorite movie ever made. Yeah. I'm like, so I walked away. And to Jake's point, there was a part of me that was like almost disappointed and resentful towards that film. And I was telling you guys today, you know, that that's a really entitled opinion because, you know, our perception is based on bias and things like that in general and the way we all live our lives. Um, so, yeah, if he does a second one and it's and it's just as like, you know, poorly written as the first one. That, that yeah, that that. But I don't know, but man, I'm coming around time, on two, though. No one is immune to um, a lack of inspiration. Like sure. the, the idea that anybody like whether it be a filmmaker or a band make something that is fantastic. Right. And then we automatically turn around and assume that they have the ability to do that time and time again. 
and it's not the case. Yeah. Like you, you even the, Stephen King stuff isn't as good as it was in the seventies and the eighties. Sure, right. Well, Doctor Sleep was amazing, though. Yeah, but I think the things you love about Doctor Sleep aren't in the book. Flanagan. Yeah. Well, well. What, Keep wait, in mind, there's I, there's no there's no hotel in the book, Doctor Sleep. But isn't um and forgive me, I'm not a King like obsessed I mean, a fan like you guys are. But like, when did Doctor Sleep come out? What year did the book come out? Uh, within Recently, the last 20, six or seven six or seven years. Is yeah. that a great book in his bookography or whatever you'd call that? I wouldn't put it top. I, I would say the best book that he's written like within the last 10 to 20 years, like 11, 22, 63 is great King. Revival, no, what's is, the, revival, revival is, is very good. King. That's revival is yeah. the one you guys wanted Flanagan to make. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, well, it would have been amazing. Go ahead, Gabe. Sorry. I, I want to make a point because we, we talk about lack of inspiration and, and this, that, and the other. And, I I feel like maybe we're just a little jaded. And story is king, and you should tell a good story when you're when you're. It's king of the world. Yes, like I, <laughs> I, I, I'm not excusing Avatar for having an uninteresting story, unobtainium. But if we're going to talk about James Cameron's career, we're going to talk about how we're going to look back at it and what is this going to be. I think it's something really special, especially if he gets to finish these. In that big movie, he is a master at the craft. Doesn't matter what, how bad the next ones are. He is, he is a bona fide master of the craft who spent his millions learning about the sea and caring about science. And that became his passion after he mastered this craft and became successful. And I think his inspiration and his passion is to try to get people to appreciate the world that we live in. The natural He's a different world. person now, too. He's so, but, I, but I think that we're a little jaded in that if we can't look back at these and say that we got someone who's a master at this craft. Right. Who had millions of dollars to invest in himself to learn about this very specific thing and pour all this love into to try to get us to appreciate, regardless of the story of the of the characters in it. And that is important. I'm not trying to completely put that aside. Sure. I but the it. fact that this era of him is going to be this this incredible saga and appreciation of the physical world that we live in and, and nature and what that means to him and that he's had all these resources to do it at that level, I think is awesome. I hope that they continue to get better, but I wouldn't yeah. say I, mean, I, I don't want to. I don't want to completely color it again. We've only seen one of these five movies, right. but I'd feel bad if we colored it as a right. you know, group of fans, not just us specifically, but just like film Twitter, film fans, film history. As like that was the downfall of James Cameron when he no, but it, it, it just sort of feels like a, like good for you, dude. Like I'm glad, like like James Cameron has earned the right. To do, if he wants to do Avatar movies for the rest of his career, sure. he's yeah. earned the right to do that. Like that's yes. you know, we we talk a lot about Spielberg. Like Spielberg's at a point where he's earned the right to do West Side Story and Fablemans if that's if that's what he wants to do. Like or like a Western but, apparently. Let's go. Or a Western, yeah, Western. I'm, I'm Let's go. Spielberg. But like, <laughs> you know, and yes, there are good intentions behind it, and he's really testing the limits of 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 you know of technology and 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 the message that he's trying to bring with it. Doesn't mean I have to like it. Yeah, yeah. Also, again, again uh, this was coming at your, which is a fair question about like how are we going to look back at it? Sure, it's a good was, question. That's how yeah. I would hope we can look back. Well, so so then then I I'll throw that question back with the Coppola example. Do we look at Coppola that way? Yes, I think yeah. we do Wait, view him. That I, honestly, way. I don't What's, even really think of Coppola as like a today director. I think of him as a director of the past. Right, but do you do you like? And it's funny, like like if I'm talking about filmmakers, right. And I'm mentioning filmmakers that have made great films. When I'm talking about Coppola, I'm not talking about anything really past. Maybe I don't even know. 80? God, yeah. 80. Whatever. Dracula. But I love Dracula. Okay. That's a I great. Like Bram Stoker's is great. So 
That's a good one, a really good one. But that's actually. early 90s. So, so, right. so we're talking 30 years since he's made like a great film. Right. But we don't say, oh, Coppola was great until. And then we go. Well, yeah, but, oh, but I think but it's I think, but I think the thing is that he hasn't really made that much lately. He's made a few films. I mean, like Cameron's made one movie in the past 15, 20 years. Well, that's you a know crime. What I mean? like, and that's a crime. That's a right. crime. And, and so I, I think I think the point I'm making is like we are in recency effect we're talking about this right now but cameron is already like gabe said a master filmmaker and it's like it's one of those things and again this is i i struggled a lot with this in my mind about like i did not like that film but it was my my favorite filmmaker in terms of like a movie that changed my life so i was now i'm trying to be a little more mature in my head about it and go you know what I have an entitled opinion about that first movie. I'm just trying to be a little more open and think, okay, what has he done technologically since then? Gabe brings up a really good point about spending his money on science and studying that aspect. You know, there's going to be a great environmental message in the film like there was in the first Avatar. Um, I just, I am just under the impression that a filmmaker of that quality had to have learned lessons from the first movie. He focused a lot on visual and less on story in the first one. And I just can see him going, let me not mess that up again. I want to prove everyone wrong. All right. Before we end, and I know Gabe wants to move us on. I'm going to ask a morbid question. I don't want everybody to a give you an answer question to it. At this a hour? Mor- you, it's it's morbid time. time. It's morbid time, baby. <laughs> when James Cameron passes away, and I'm, I hope mm-hmm. it's not anytime soon, but when it happens, uh, there will be a headline and it'll say title director, James Cameron dies at age fill in the blank. Uh, it'll be the title of one of his movies. What Titanic movie? Titanic. What movie Titanic is? director James Cameron. I don't know because Avatar is the highest grossing film of all time. But I, I feel like see... we we remember we had this like the the whole thing when we picked two movies for DiCaprio. The, yeah. the significance that Titanic has on our pop culture, on our psyche as a culture. Yeah. Um, I just Terminator feel like is so much more insurmountable than than avatar or honestly even like terminator 2 obviously holds a significance to the four squares in this in this people love terminator 2 people, right, not but not us. not the way and it didn't have the the sway over culture that Gabe, what do you titanic think? my honest opinion is it depends which outlet is writing this article <laughs> <laughs> I, honestly, I, honestly, I can see terminator 2 that, that's an editor that's an editor's answer well, right but there. honestly because it's like you know depending if it's variety of the hollywood reporter versus a more of a fan site or whatever which are just as big often i could see terminator having just as much weight for one place versus titanic but if we're talking about this is hopefully many 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 years down the road who knows how many other films he's made but he's made five avatar films and if all of them make two billion dollars or something yeah I don't know. We might be hard. Pre- that yeah. might just be the obvious answer is Avatar. It might be okay. Avatar mogul James Cameron. Yeah. Yes. And, and Kevin, yeah. I'm going to be honest with the you. First I know you, you probably don't want to... a trillionaire on planet Earth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kevin, I, I know you probably don't want to hear this, but if they were to refer to to Terminator in terms of James Cameron, I don't think they would specify T2. I would think they would just say Terminator, Terminator creator James Terminator. Cameron. Yeah. yeah. Well, Terminator would encompass it, like, it Terminator would, 1 he, and 2. Right, he wouldn't be they wouldn't be saying the Terminator. They would say like the creator Terminator of the idea director. of the Terminator. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Cameron is one of those directors that could could warrant uh 2. It could say Titanic, T- comma, Avatar, Avatar director. director, yeah. James Cameron. Yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. Could I know. Did you creepy, guys see the? I saw an interview way. recent with Jordan Peele, and then I know we have to move. All right, we'll move on. I'll, I'll say it later. All right, go Tell ahead. Tell us after. Okay, we got to get to an ad break because we got to pay for some bills. 
Let's get to an ad break. We'll talk to you on the other side. <laughs> this, this week's episode sponsored by Avatar. <laughs> All right, and we are back. Let's get to some movies that are coming to theaters uh, and to streaming. Apple TV Plus has a movie called Causeway that I'm looking forward to seeing. It stars Jennifer Lawrence and Brian Tyree Henry. It was at uh, Toronto and then has made its way through. It was in Savannah, too, and I missed it as well, too. I understand it's quiet and sedated and a character study, but I love Jennifer Lawrence and I love Brian Tyree Henry. I will check out anything that they do. It is Apple TV Plus. It's called Causeway. Uh, Jakey, you saw My Policeman with Harry Styles. I did. It's going to be on Prime Video. Give me your quick reaction to uh, whether this is worth checking out. Uh, it's, a, it's a very strong film. Um, Story-wise, I'm going to be honest, it's nothing that you've never really seen before in that um, a young woman played by, forgive me, I can't remember her name, but it's the great actress who played Princess Diana in the is most previous Emma season. Emma Corrin? Yes, uh, uh, Corrin, the, I believe. Corrin, um, okay. And she played Princess Diana, most recent season of The Crown. Um, she marries uh, Harry, the, the character played by Harry Styles, um, who in the, and then the collectively they have a, a friend who is kind of like the three of them kind of make up sort of this tripod. Um, and then she starts suspecting that uh, her husband, played by Harry Styles, and this male friend who's a big part of their group are having uh, an affair. Mm. This is 1960s England, so of course that sort of thing it does not go over well, um, it, aside from the fact that also uh, Harry Styles plays a policeman, which is uh, a profession in the 60s in England that was not okay with that sort of thing. Again, mm. uh, plot-wise, you've seen these angles before, um, but it's still very strong performances, uh, very well made, strongly written. There's a really interesting plot device that flashes forward and back in time, which I think really adds um, some depth to it. And the big question coming out of it is how good is Harry Styles? Honestly, I find him to be very good. Um, I think maybe, you know, this is what we're pushing for for the Oscars is a little premature. Let's scale it back. Let's not get crazy. But he's very strong and holds himself up against some really great actors. Um, so, you know, it's on Prime Video, which I think is a perfect sort of experience uh, to watch it. So I, I would say it is worth your time. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Over on Netflix, uh, starting on Friday, which is the day that we are airing, Enola Holmes 2 has uh, dropped. And I had a, I managed to see that one. Kev, you saw it? No, I have some breaking news, Sean. Oh, sorry. I, um, I just got a delivery for with great power. How <gasps> Spider-Man conquered Hollywood yes. during the golden age of comic book blockbusters. Yes. It is currently 14 floors below me. So Kevin, enjoy it. that. Read uh, it tonight. Text Noel me Holmes. after. I want to, I want a picture of you holding the book, please. Let's see. Hold on. Let me see. Let me check mine. Uh, let's <laughs> see. Breaking mine news. says uh, my yes. status. It says go fuck yourself. Oh man. They sent you that message? I asked them to. That's rude. It's very you gotta, rude of the you publisher. You got like gift wrapped with a little note that says that. <laughs> um I okay so I I watched the first Enola Holmes in preparation for this. I didn't see it the first time it came around. And um these movies are delightful. I legitimately wish that she would make uh, a dozen of these movies as Millie Bobby Brown uh, playing Anola Holmes, who's the younger daughter of Sherlock Holmes, who is played by Henry Cavill. Sister. And they younger are sister, oh, right? sister. What did yes. I say? Okay. Daughter, daughter, I say daughter, yeah. younger sister. Um, but she has been raised uh, independently by their mom, who is a suffragette, uh, who's played by Helena Bonham Carter uh, and is very rebellious and is given uh, Millie Bobby Brown this rebellious streak. And it's about how she is trying to launch her own detective agency uh, in the shadow of her older brother, Sherlock Holmes. Obviously, uh, Henry Cavill is having a blast playing Sherlock Holmes. 
this uh, one expands on the world very much so starts to get into some of the uh, expected Sherlock Holmes mythologies, but figures out a way to sort of filter them through Millie Bobby Brown. I think I've gotten so used to Millie Bobby Brown playing um, Eleven in Stranger Things, which is a little bit more intense and doesn't quite get to show the range of emotion that mm-hmm. I forget that she uh, She's is very extremely charming. charismatic. Yes. And can be. So she does the fourth wall break throughout Enola Holmes. And um, it's hilarious. Like every time that she sort of addresses the audience and talks about what's happening in the scenes, it's very, very funny. It's done to to great effect. Um, and the mystery in this one is actually pretty solid, too. Like there's multiple steps through it. I didn't see anything coming. There's a there's a big secret that drops towards the end. And the director actually asked me during the junket. He was like, did you figure it out? And I was like, dude, I had no idea. So he was like, oh, that makes me so happy because he figured there was he thinks it's obvious kind of thing. And I was like, no, no, I had I had no idea. So very, very charming. If you love the first one, you're going to love this. And if you haven't seen either of them, I say dive into Netflix and definitely check them out because they are a very good time. Um, over on Roku, Roku is a service you can get for free, by the way. You could just sign up for it. Uh, and this week you might want to because Daniel Radcliffe plays uh, Weird Al Yankovic in a walk hard-esque uh, biopic uh, called Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Kev, you said this is going to make your top 10. Yeah. Uh, do you still feel that strongly about it? Yeah, right now, I mean, it's November 2nd. I mean... Anything could happen in the next sure. what, month and whatever. Um, but in terms of this, yeah, I was well, I think, first of all, I didn't watch the trailer for this film, so I actually didn't know that it was a parody of Weird Al. So my like and it's, you know, sometimes we get these like beautiful moments where you can actually sit down and watch a movie and not know where where it's going or what it's about. Um, so I, I obviously knew that Daniel Radcliffe played Weird Al. I think I'd seen like clips. I just didn't understand that the bit was basically going to be like Instead of him, you know, he writes Eat It and then Michael Jackson covers it with Beat It, um, which is a really funny concept. And like, you know, to parody the parody king himself is kind of a kind of a smart idea, I would I would argue. Um, and the guy who directed this, Eric, uh, who you did a uh, uh, Q&A with in Savannah. Yes. Um, he's from Funny or Die. I think his most famous or one of his biggest videos was he directed this short where Jewel dressed up in a costume and walked into a bar and karaoke jewel songs and no one knew it was jewel. <laughs> Pretty funny. Um, and so basically I, you know, first of all, Daniel Radcliffe, the, the choice of to, to, for him to play him is interesting. Cause isn't he, he's, he, you know, Jacob is a big dude, like a tall dude. Right. And I don't, I don't know yeah. how tall uh, Daniel Radcliffe is, but see, to me, the beauty of it is Radcliffe, he's not very tall, but he, but he plays the character with the tall yes. presence. Like he's mm-hmm. so, good at capturing the character in a way. And remember, this is heightened. So what's funny about it is what I liked about the film was this push pull. Like the film basically starts off by telling you, you you know, basically you don't know when you're in a parody and when you're, and when you're in real life. So like, the, the beats of the film are real, like, you know, the songs that he released and, you know, whatever. Really, obviously, he had a relationship with Madonna and, and you know, I, I don't know in terms of like what the relationship entailed, friendship or whatever it was. Probably not to ter- this extent. I don't. Right. I actually don't even think they really did have any kind of a relationship. Really? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, oh, I think okay, they, they may have crossed paths. And, and, and I think she did want him to, like, cover one of her songs. But they, they, as, they as had as a very famous funny interview as well like in the 80s okay. or whatever he did, did like they? a doing his weird owl thing and she was a okay. part of it i don't i'm i don't know the full extent of it but i do know that right. they, there's that's where that interaction 
a part of it yeah. takes place. Yeah. And and the, I would use the word relationship in just like in, in friend friendly way, sure. not like a, a dating way. But in terms of that, and my, the point being is that there are bits that are real and you mm-hmm. are kind of pushed in and out of parody and real. So like there's a great joke in the film about Led Zeppelin and Howie Mandel, and I won't tell you what the joke is. But Howie Mandel did really open for Weird Al in real life. Um, so that joke is rooted in I'm a real with story. Mandel. Right. It's rooted, it's rooted <laughs> in a real story, but it but it but it's done in a parody way. So I found that fascinating. Also, it's so cool that Weird Al went back and recorded the vocals. Like one of the things that's really interesting about this film is Daniel Radcliffe's not is not singing in the movie, but he is singing while he's performing. One of the most annoying things you see sometimes, and and this is also what happened on Bohemian Rhapsody is Rami Malek was actually singing on set. Like that way you get the throat moving. You see like the way a person would look when they sing, even though they throw in Freddie Mercury's voice, it's still the actor performing it. And obviously the sound then becomes the, 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 the actual version of the artist. So in this case, Weird Al went back and recorded, re-recorded all these songs. Cause a lot of the movie deals with the inspiration surrounding these songs. So like Daniel Radcliffe will come up with like my Bologna while looking at a thing of bologna while my, hearing my, my, my Sharona. My right. So, but the brilliance of it is, <laughs> and this is one thing I was curious about because basically with songs that are that old, when you try to isolate vocals from music, I mean, it gets, it gets a little dicey when you're trying to sure. deal with masters and things like that. So Weird Al went back into a studio basically and did all those again, but he hired pitched his voice back to where he used to be so that he mm-hmm. could actually sound as if it was the younger version of Weird Al because he hadn't recorded or sang any of these most of these or a lot of these songs in a long time. Um, that being said, it's hilarious. Um, I thought it was really funny. It's also great messages about being yourself. I mean, even though it's heightened, um, I just thought it was really well done. I thought he was great. Evan Rachel Wood was great. Uh, I was just kind of just blown away by how much I loved this film. It was kind of a big surprise for me. I did not expect to love it that much. I expected it to like it. Um, but I was, I thought it was really funny and smart and just really well made. All right. I'm going to throw a little wet blanket on it. Um, I'll be the one, I'll be the one who, um, who thought it was really funny for 45 minutes. And then I just thought it overstayed its welcome. Um, because Kev's right with everything they brought up, the the uh spoofs the, the spoof elements are really funny i got a kick out of a number of the cameos uh there's some really funny celebrity cameos that you guys will see and everybody kind of leans into it it there, there's a third act that i won't discuss here that goes pretty <laughs> far off the rails and uh even by before we got to that point i was start because it leans into a lot of the cliches of musical biopics right like sure. it's uh al al gets uh he, he's not a drinker at all but madonna sort of forces him <laughs> to start drinking and then he becomes a, a alcoholic degenerate and he's the band breaks up and all this jazz and i was like all right all right we've seen all this before i thought it was much much funnier as it was as he was figuring out who he was as a musician using the accordion and <laughs> and how he thought it was so revolutionary to write alternate songs to existing things and then his roommates are just like well, well why don't you just do that like like it was such a such I, not his a big roommates deal. were funny, man. Those those guys funny. were hilarious. Like, well, just, I love the positivity but, from. Them. And you mentioned it was a funnier die skit, um, and I think that's the perfect venue for it. Like Aaron Paul yeah. plays Weird Al in that one, and um, Olivia Wilde of all people plays Madonna. Oh, I've never seen this. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a original Funnier Die trailer. Oh, and Aaron Paul plays. Um, Weird Al, 
and then Olivia Wilde plays Madonna, and then um, Doctor Demento is that his name? Yeah, is Rain Wilson's who, character. Rain Wilson? Uh, that is um, Patton Oswalt in the in <laughs> the short perfect. film. Is it and is bo- it the similar idea? Is it like a is it a parody of a parody? Hundred percent. And it was to oh, the point the where okay. over the years, so many people saw that funny or die sketch and would ask Weird Al Yankovic like. When are you going to make the movie that that trailer is based on kind of thing? Mm. And then he started showing the trailer before his live shows. So it became incredibly popular. Then I asked oh, Eric um, Appel, the director, if he ever considered doing um, using Aaron Paul instead of Daniel Radcliffe. Was that ever a consideration to bring him in? And he said, no, they always want they they wanted to separate themselves from the short. So they didn't want to use any of the same actors. But Aaron Paul was supposed to cameo uh, in this movie. He was going to play the character. At one point, uh, Weird Al gets heckled from a a crowd, like a biker bar crowd. Mm -hmm. And Patton Oswalt is one of the guys who was heckling him. And that was supposed to be Aaron Paul. Oh, interesting. He showed up on set. uh, He tested positive for COVID and they had to send him home. home. Yeah. 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 So uh, regardless, I think it's a great skit. I don't think it's a terrific movie. I laughed a lot during it. I will say. Maybe it it didn't help that I watched it on a screener because I was in Savannah and it was one of the opening night films for it. And I sat in the back of the crowd and watched it play and every joke crushed. I mean, just crushed. So this crowd was super into it. And so um, I'm maybe a little bit bummed that it's playing on streaming um, because I think it would play really well with a crowd. So, Jakey, where do you fall? Are you right in the Uh, middle of us or? No, I'm 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 with Kevin. I think it's uh, it's probably a top ten movie for me right now. I honestly oh think Lord. it's probably uh, among the funniest movies I've seen in the past few years in terms it of the degree amazing. that I was consistently laughing and just how hard I was laughing. And honestly, I watched it on my laptop because I couldn't get it to play. So we're talking about watching a movie on my laptop, sitting on my couch, just dying laughing i honestly the third act that you're describing when it gets to that ridiculous nature once it's so far beyond the point of like oh maybe we're tethered to some sort of reality when it gets to that final act is probably when i was laughing the hardest it seems to just be so fully aware of what it is but also one step ahead of us in terms of like what we where we predict it's going to go it's like yes we know you know what kind of movie this is but you don't know that we're about to go here and then they go right. there and it's it's just absolutely phenomenal radcliffe crushes it just i mean in terms of just pure like how much laughter that brought out of me it just i i i absolutely absolutely loved it, it i honestly it's it, for me yeah. it's it's a five out of five it was like a it was like therapeutic i haven't laughed yeah. like i i was crying i was laughing yeah. there like there and i mentioned that led zeppelin bit I'm not going to ruin the joke, but you, it is there is just so many that line made me laugh so hard. I'm just like, but I, I would say also, <laughs> if you get the chance, once you watch the film, go back and read Weird Al's um, uh, Wikipedia page and you might be surprised at how real. much in the movie did kind of happen to some degree. Like even like Rain Wilson's character seems like this wild person that like would be a part of like the parody. Like there's no way that like that's the per. No, that's exactly who he was. And yes, like the movie kicks off with uh, uh, an accordion salesman knocking at Weird Al's door, <laughs> which is exactly how that's he ended real. up getting an accordion, like an accordion salesman knocked on his door. So it was kind of fun to realize, like to play the game of like parody or truth. And I think there's a lot more truth in there than you think there is. Yeah. 
Yeah. And like to Jake's point, like, like it's funny, like when I we interviewed Weird Al for the press junket and I, I, I had him clear up two of the things that happened in the film. And one of them was the name scene, because there's a scene where Rain Wilson. like, And it's again, it's an over the top moment where he gives him the name Weird Al. And I, and I, and I was like, how accurate is that? To oh, I thought me? I thought he called him Al Solo. Also, <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> no, but I, but I, but I, I, I was wondering, like, like, where did where did the name come from? And so, while that is not true, like, it actually came from the college dorms. He was like apparently in college, and people called him Weird Al, and then he got a radio show, and that's where he got that's where he kept the name Weird Al. I'm the weird one, <laughs> right, right. But I mean, to Jake's point, though, like the beauty of the film is that you don't really know when you're in pair. I mean, you obviously know that Michael Jackson wrote beat it first. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, like it is rooted in enough reality that, and then the guy's already a parody artist. So it's mm. like, it, it's kind of like, Three levels of meta inception. It's, yeah. it's the only way to do his story. Essentially. <laughs> yes, this is so the only clever. way to really yeah. do his story. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So let's go from one coming of age story uh, to a completely different one, which is James Gray's film Armageddon Time. Uh, we heard a conversation with James earlier in the show, and um, I thought that this was uh, really touching and really um, devoid of sentimentality. And I mean that the mm-hmm. nicest way possible. Mm-hmm. I think he paints an incredibly accurate picture um, of what it was like for him as a smart ass kid uh, to grow up in a Jewish family in the 1970s, 70s, early 80s, what, 80s, because that's to me because Reagan, 80s? right? Oh, Reagan. That's right. It's, so it is centered heavily Reagan on gets elected um, in the time. The movie. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you have I, it was weird to see because I, in doing research for uh, interviewing him, I saw some scuttlebutt that he uh, was getting some flack for casting non-Jewish actors um, mm-hmm. because he has Anne Hathaway playing uh, the version of his mother. And then who's the guy from succession? Jeremy Strong. Jeremy Strong. Jeremy Strong is playing the father. And By the way, I haven't heard Hath- the word scuttlebutt in a long time. That's why I just wanted to point that out. That was, there you go. thank you. $5 yeah. words. Um, but I thought the cast was fantastic. Like I, I understand some people's concerns about why not cast some Jewish actors uh, in these parts, but I really thought that they brought uh, the, the sentimentality or lack thereof sentimentality that was really appropriate for bringing this family unit together. Um, I don't think anything extraordinary happens in the plot. It's very, very character driven. Uh, there are some really beautiful moments that are really small. Uh, one involves just Anthony Hopkins sort of mm. implementing life lessons to his young grandson. Uh, there's a lot of much like most of James Gray's films. He's very heavily focused on uh, the short amount of time that we are here on this planet. Uh, And in something like Ad Astra, he'll send Brad Pitt like to the furthest extent of the galaxy just to confront his father. Um, He's rooted in that. And I think that this is a a really good uh, antidote to the epic scale of Ad Astra. It's very small. It's very rooted in this community. Um, but he doesn't shy away from, as he mentions in the interview, he doesn't shy away from really difficult, complicated conversations about um, race and how people felt about race. There's a uh, relationship between the young boy uh, who is supposed to represent James Gray uh, in this movie and another black boy at his school and how they sort of bond over being class clowns, 
but can they be friends and which one of them is getting in each other in in trouble kind of thing and i related a lot to that like i saw those kids who you know performed in class uh to get the attention of their classmates or angered the teacher and i saw uh, or maybe lived through uh, experiences where you pushed your parents past the limit of them being able to uh, put up with your shit anymore kind of thing. And I think James Gray uh, accurately embraces that. It's not the most entertaining film in the world, um, but it is definitely an accurate portrayal of what he went through at that time. And I think opened my eyes a lot uh, to experiences that I myself didn't go through, but to see it through the eyes uh, of another character. I think the filmmaking throughout it is is fantastic. He's obviously a great filmmaker. Uh, and I have to give props to uh, Jake's girl, Annie Hathaway, who I don't normally like. And I thought that she was spectacular in this, like really, really great uh, in a difficult in a difficult part. So I haven't talked to either of you two about it since I watched it. Jakey, what would you think? Yeah, I, I think you you really perfectly nailed it. Um, it's 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 a very very strong film. It's a hard film to walk out of going like, oh my god, I love that so much. It's just not that kind of film. Um, I, I I do love these sort of slice of life movies where it sort of feels like you snuck into someone's apartment and you're kind of just hiding in the back of the room and listening to the people live their lives. Like it just sort of feels like you're stepping in, you're eavesdropping for a little bit, maybe hearing and seeing some things that you shouldn't be hearing and seeing. And then when you get to the point where you sort of feel like I've seen enough, then you kind of just step out. But because of that, it feels very raw and real and intimate. And as he mentioned in our interview, there was no line in terms of what he felt like we did and did not deserve to know. And and I think the film is better because of that. Um, It it is anchored by these just really wonderful performances. You mentioned Anne Hathaway, but I think Jeremy Strong as his father, um, if, if, if I saw his name on a short list for a supporting actor nomination, I wouldn't be mad about it. And mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins, I mean, I mean, there's not much you can be that can be said by Anthony Hopkins that hasn't already be said, already been said. But like, I, I just want to make sure we don't sleep on how good he is in a role like this, because he's always good in, in, in just about everything he does. But like that, that scene he has with his grandson on the bench. And I know, mm-hmm. Sean, you had a question ready to go about that. And I would have loved to hear uh, James Gray's answer about it. It's just such a beautiful, powerful moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, there are all these sort of singular things about the film. It's, it's really well written. Some of the messages at the end, uh, maybe are messages that, that you don't want to hear. And they're not like quite the uplifting life affirming messages that you want, uh, to, to see transpire, transpire between parent and child, but they're probably very real conversations that have been had multiple times, uh, throughout history, probably even including today. Um, and I think that's one of the most relevant things about this film uh, is that there are so many elements that even though, and we talk about this with film sometimes, even though it takes place in a very specific place and time and, 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 in a, in a area of New York, you could take the events of this story and place it in 2022 Chicago, or you could place it in 1990 Charlotte, or probably yep. place it in 2005 DC and probably have the exact same story and have it make sense. And, there, yep. that's, and there's a lot of aspects of the story uh, that, that that's a shame that that's the case, that that is the way it is. Uh, incredibly strong film. Um, again, I don't know if I crossed exactly into that threshold of, oh, my God, I love this. But um, I, I, I everything everything about it, I would say, is absolutely worth your time to, to seek out and see. 
I ended up three and a half out of five. Like that that's, was my that's exactly what I would do too. Yeah. Kev, where are we at? I'm in the same place. I, it's interesting. This film, I think Jake kind of brings up a good point that there's an uncomfortable aspect to the way it tells you life lessons. Um, and it is, it is something that is, you know, you do walk away from this film with a, not a numbness, but like a, there's a, you're questioning a lot of what you just watched. You don't really, I, I think when it ended, I was just kind of in a stage of like, okay, what was James Gray trying to say with this film? And obviously there's a really powerful scene between Jeremy Strong and, and Banks who plays the the young boy, Paul in the film. Um, that is, that really kind of sums up the film um, in a way. And it's, it's that to me was interesting. Um, performances are incredible. I mean, Anne Hathaway and Jeremy Strong are amazing. Banks who plays the young boy, Paul, he's phenomenal. Um, but Anthony Hopkins, obviously like that was like one of my favorite performances I've seen from him in a long time. It's a very special character reminded me a lot of my relationship with my grandfather. I mean, there was that, that fun little thing you have with a grandparent or, or an uncle or an aunt who will let you do something fun that your parents won't let you do. I mean, even though that he was allowed to launch this rocket, it was like his special thing with his grandfather. It was like this cool thing that he had with them. Um, and I yeah, it, it's a film that has a lot to say. And I think to Jake's point, a lot of it is uncomfortable. And I, I think a lot of it is meant to be uncomfortable um, because it deals with very uncomfortable subject matter. Um, but subject matter that's important. And Hopkins's character is is incredible because of his forwarding positivity to give this kid knowledge and tell him how to act. Um, one of the things that James said yesterday in our interview, which I thought was really interesting, I never thought of it before, is like, you know, you know, I think I, I'm going to steal this from Timothy Chalamet, who I think probably took this from somebody else eventually, but you know, the moment we really kind of grow up really is the moment when we realize our parents don't really have it together either. You know what I mean? Like, you know, because like, when you're growing up, you you there's this idea in your mind that your parents know everything and that you eventually when you get to that age, you'll be OK as well. And then when you realize that your parents are just human beings that are going through this life just like you are. It's shocking. Like it's like a, it's like a, it's a shocking revelation that you are going to also go through life this way mm. but then james made a great point off of the point i was just talking about that chalamet said which was but grandparents are on a different level you know they they've already done it and then now they're seeing their kids do it um and i used to sit around my grandfather passed a year and a half ago and i'd sit around the dinner table with him and my family and i remember like i, I always wondered like why he found so much satisfaction and happiness just by sitting at a table and having dinner with his family and I just remember like and it made me think about that when I was watching the film, just the 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 precious time that we have here, the precious time that this grandfather has knowing that he's dying or, or could be dying at some point and knowing that his grandson is going to have to go into this world without him at, at some point because he's getting older. Yeah. Um, and I just found that to be a fascinating thing that James Gray said about grandparents and parents like there's a they're they're almost the ones that know they they do know the most. They've lived the longest. Um, in theory, it, sure. In theory, but their viewpoints could be skewed as well too. You know, which is interesting. And, and and there's no question. I'm not saying grandparents have everything figured out, but they do know more yeah. <laughs> because they, because they've, they've been alive more. longer, right? Yeah. And so I found that to be a really interesting perspective of like what because I mean you you're watching this film and it is so hard hitting when you deal with a 
you know, parents who are going through their own losses and trying to also raise their children at the same time. Yeah. Um, there was just a lot of things that hit. I don't know if any of this is actually making sense altogether, but there was just a lot of themes in this film <clears throat> that I've actually thought about a lot post seeing it. I've actually, the film has actually grown on me. Um, mm. When I first left it, I was like, okay, what was that? And then now even talking to James Gray yesterday, Sometimes an interview like that really can open up the floodgates of kind of where you're going with the movie. Not, I'm not saying an interview has to be the reason why you find things in movies you like, but the way he talked about it then recycled moments in my mind of the film. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 that works. Um, so I think people should see it. Um, it's just a very absolutely uncomfortable film. And it's not a film that's like you're going to walk out on a Saturday night and go, all right, let's go out and party. Like, it, is yeah, a, yeah. it is a it is a it is a really serious film that deals with uncomfortable truths as jake said all right so kev praised uh anthony hopkins we all praised anthony hopkins and his performance in this which is a part of the reason why he is the subject of our blend game this week hashtag anthony hopkins blend uh kev i'm gonna stay with you i know you just took a big swig of water but tell me which yeah. direction you went with uh in choosing anthony and, and i want to point out to the people too with that <laughs> we took silence of the lambs off the board because we figured that was too obvious of a choice uh, and obviously this man has so many other amazing credits to his resume. So where'd you go? That would was everyone not have picked silence. Cannibal like what would, 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 cause I know, I know probably, I would have picked silence. Lambs. I probably would have had to. Yeah, I think so. I would have, but the one, so, so my choice is actually, I'm going to cheat cause there's two of them. I'm going to mention, um, the best performance I think he's ever given in my personal opinion, aside from Hannibal Lecter is the elephant man. Um, I just think that what David Lynch did with that film. I ended up seeing Bradley Cooper perform it on Broadway. It is that film is outstanding. Um, and, and, and Anthony Hopkins is phenomenal in that movie. It was a John Hurt who played the, yeah. the elephant man. Yes. Um, so I'm a human the, being. Yeah, that's an amazing performance. So Good the right. one I'm going to choose is my favorite. It's going to be a little weird. It's a movie called Fracture. It's oh, a yeah, movie. Sure. With it's a great movie. Ryan Gosling. And so it was funny is I'm going to bring up this is actually the reason why I'm bringing it up. So we're dealing with favorites. So just to clarify for our audience, like when you're talking about a favorite, there's a personal connection to it. Um, so with Fracture, Usually. I remember see, remember seeing it and I didn't, I remember going to a screening for it in DC. I didn't know much about it. I just knew it was Ryan Gosling and I knew it was Anthony Hopkins. And I remember it ending going, man, that was awesome. Like, where did that come from? Like, it was such a great story. And Anthony Hopkins is great in it. And Ryan Gosling's great in it. So I went up to Toronto I think the film was at Toronto. It was for TIFF. And, or no, actually, Hopkins was promoting a Woody Allen film at the time. And I remember I had seen Fracture either recently or, or relatively recently to seeing him. And I walked into this com- press conference and Anthony Hopkins is just standing there. And I walked up and he proceeds to tell me, one, that I look like Ryan Gosling, which was like the greatest compliment of all time. I was like, thank you, <laughs> Mr. Hopkins. And then he goes, don't call me Mr. Hopkins. Call me Tony. And I said, no, I will not be calling you Tony. That is not <laughs> happening. Um, but I just I, that memory of that moment, but then also loving that film. And then because remember, this was like right when I was first starting off doing like television and or radio junket. So I had never really been in a room with someone like that famous someone that i loved watching i'm trying to remember the exact time period of it but i was i was very young or, or early in my career when that happened Fracture um, was like 2004 i want to say or seven was it is it that late let's say I, I mean i could be wrong yeah, yeah. Fracture is 2007 no you're right seven good okay. call so all right so this yeah so this would have maybe this was a year or two after i don't remember the specifics of it but 
Um, and because that's right, because I was in Toronto not covering TV. I was up there covering like a rate. I was covering radio roundtables. It was the year I did Never Let Me Go. Um, and uh, uh, that movie Conviction, I think, with Hillary Swank and Sam mm-hmm. Rockwell. So point being is that like that film will always have a special thing because I, I remember loving it. And then being able to tell the person who's in it that I loved it was like a surreal thing for me. I had never, <laughs> you know, I had I had to that point. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned the year because I'd started off in radio in 2005 and the radio shows that I were doing were all the filmmakers behind the scenes, the composers, the directors, the, you know, the people that I really wanted to geek out with. I had never really had an opportunity to tell an actor of that scale what I thought about a film of theirs. And now we do it all the time because it's our job. But to go walk up to Anthony Hopkins and tell them, like, dude, I loved Fracture. It was just a weird thing. So. Going back That's to cool. the point of seeing, seeing Fracture, I love that film. It was a film that I just remember shocking me because I didn't expect it to be that great. I think it's an underrated film with Anthony Hopkins. Um, he's great in the role, um, but I also have a personal tie to it that kind of brought me back to that memory of meeting him for the first time. So Fracture is my choice. Jake, did you also pick Fracture? I did not. Uh, I chose Meet Joe Black, um, which is a movie that, that I really <laughs> love. VHS. Double VHS. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the film, um, it is a, a movie in which Anthony Hopkins um, is uh, uh, about to have a heart attack. He's dying and death shows up and death is played by Brad Pitt, who basically says, look, it's it's your time. And an Hopkins impossibly says, handsome an Brad Pitt impossibly as well too. ridiculously handsome Brad yes. Pitt. And there's a reason that death looks you know, like I, Brad Pitt. When I met Anthony Hopkins, he told me I look like Brad Pitt. That's funny. That <laughs> no, no, he said you look like death. Oh, well, he was referencing we were talking about the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's, 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 the the, there, there's a reason that death looks like Brad Pitt. Um, and Hopkins basically makes a deal with death and says, look, I would love to have just a couple of more days like to, to get my affairs in order, say goodbye to people in my life that I need to say goodbye to. And death says, fine, I'll give you a couple of days. But like, you got to show me around. Like, I don't really know much about this world. Like, <laughs> like, let me like you got to you got to you got to take me on a tour. I've never and, seen this, Jake. Oh, it's, it's a it's a really sweet, powerful film. And so all the while, Anthony Hopkins has taken this sort of like puppy dog, Brad Pitt. Uh, you know, around the world and showing him to things. And uh, Brad Death meets Hopkins daughter and falls in love with her. And Hopkins mm-hmm. is basically like, what the hell? You can't fall in love. You're death. You can't fall in love with my daughter. So it does turn into a, a very sort of schmaltzy romance between the two. But but Hopkins gets what I think is the best role in the film and that he it's it's one of the first roles of his that I can remember that he really is reflective on death and his age and kind of looking back. Mm. And it's re, you know, it's really that moment where you, you know, in those three, those couple of days, he's, you know, this big business tycoon and, you know, he's, he's flying all over the place in his private helicopters and he's got all this and that, and this big birthday party that's going to be happening. Um, and he's got, you know, one daughter that feels neglected and one daughter that feels, he, he really takes that time to kind of pause and step back and, and take a moment to to realize what's important in his life. And, uh, you know, at the end of the film, he has I, w- I won't ruin it, but he has just this beautiful moment with death where he basically says, like, thank you. Like, I, I know you showing up means that I'm dying, but you showing up and telling me I'm going to die gave me the opportunity to, like, see my life and do mm. everything the way I wanted to do it before mm. I had to go. And it's just such a beautiful film. Thomas Newman's score 
is one of the most beautiful pieces of music I've ever heard for a film, um, particularly in that moment that I just told you. It's gorgeous. It is long. Like Kevin said, it's a double taper. It's three hours, but <laughs> it's a, it's just a beautiful Anthony Hopkins performance, a very fun sort of puppy dog, you know, like Pitt portrays death as like a little naive and but then like has this fun, sinister edge to him in a lot of ways. Um, so, yeah, far and away, I I and you know, a lot of people don't like this movie. And so I feel the need to go out of my way to champion it because I think it is a beautiful, beautiful film. All right. Sean, I've, yes. Before you choose yours, do you mind if I guess what yours is? Ooh. Sure. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm only going to guess this because this is also one that I was thinking about and right. I have a lot to say about it. But I think the father is your choice. Bingo. Kev. Wow. Way to go. Well done. Nice well done. job. Yeah. Um, wow. and I, I find it entertaining that Jake chose um, J- Meet Joe Black which in 1998 cast Anthony Hopkins as a man who was dying because 20 something (laughs) years later, this poor man is still playing an aging man who is like, was he ever young? Can you remember an Anthony Hopkins role where he was like, he's still still like a good looking older man in elephant man. Yeah. Yeah. What is like, what is his, like, what is his like, he just he, uh, I think he just got famous later in life. Later like, in like, life. Does, does he have like a Paul Newman hustler error of, of him? Not like that I'm he was aware like of. That no. Young? no, I don't think so. Yeah, you're right. Maybe he, maybe he did a lot of stage. I think he has a lot of stage. I think he probably did a lot of live theater coming through London before. Yeah, he, he has got that one set. look. We've always had him. Like I feel like I feel like like Morgan Freeman, Anthony Hopkins. Like they're they're actors who just have looked. They were just like the old. same in our minds for years. <laughs> Even Nicholson, um, you can find young Nicholson yeah, performances. Yes. <laughs> I Anthony know, Hopkins like has always been old. That's funny. Yeah. All right. So mm. the father, I, and again, this is Regency bias because you know having seen it just recently. Great performance. But but I I remember watching that movie and being convinced that Anthony Hopkins was suffering through uh, oh, yeah. the dementia that is plaguing this character. Like it is that convincing of a role that I legitimately thought this poor man is going through this. And some of that of course goes to his performance. And some of it goes to the way that the film is directed because the, if the film is meant to keep you off guard, you're supposed to be off kilter and feel the confusion uh, that the character is going through. And I thought that that was masterfully done. Um, And because it's all about confusion, you think about how controlled Hopkins has to be in what he's showing you um, mm-hmm. because he has complete control over, you know, that performance. And yet the performance is supposed to be showing you someone who is, who has lost control, who, who reality is slipping away from them at that point. Um, and that is a, is a story. So meet Joe black gets a lot of flack for being like overly sentimental and, and schmaltzy. And that's the knock on it. The father is the most blunt and raw approach to uh, having a parent who is suddenly going through that because it's from Olivia Coleman's perspective often. Um, and the things that Anthony Hopkins mm. will say to her, which, you know, just from what you've experienced is not true, you know, or um, or things that he's confusing that that you've witnessed sort of thing. Uh, it's a brilliant, brilliant performance. And it's a brilliant performance with a brilliant script uh, and then when Hopkins showed up to receive his Oscar, his well-deserved Oscar, um, I thought it was such a beautiful speech that he gave uh, because he didn't travel to the show and he just mm. recorded this thing out in the field. And he was just like, hey, it's just me. It's Tony. Uh, you know, I'm I'm having a great time out here. Everything's going well. God bless you. Stay safe. 
you know, the world's crazy right now. And I was like, oh, my God, Hopkins is still still fantastic. But so convincing in that part. Um, such Have you ever a rewarding him? movie. Uh, well, I did the fracture junket, so I got him for that. Oh, and I wow. won. Was man. Cool. Was he paired uh, with Gosling for that? They were not paired. No, they were individual. Oh, uh, they were movie, solo. Man. And I've got If I go back over, I think I've gotten him a couple of times, but I have to go back yeah. over. I'm his trying to think of what I got. I, I, dude, you know, what's crazy. What I got him paired for. with Bruce Willis. Oh, so did I nuts. for Red 2. For Red 2. Oh, Red 2. I remember two. in that interview, I told Bruce Willis, I don't think he knew that. Hopkins was only in Silence of the Lambs for like 17 minutes. And I think okay. I, like I brought that up in the I remember Willis. But oh, wait, wait, back to the father for a second. You nailed it perfectly because that was the first time I had ever truly got an understanding of what that would feel like. And like, yeah. I feel like, you know, I've had family members who have dealt with that. I, I, I've seen it. Uh, I know people's uh, friends who have gone through it with their family members. But until you watch like an immersive movie like that and, and and obviously without going through it yourself. Yeah, it is one of those things that gives you a very much a deeper understanding into that confusion and that idea. And that's why I love movies so much. And obviously movies are, are, are movies. They're you know, they're they're being made and they're, and they're meant to emotionally immerse you. But sometimes some of the greatest movies of all time and greatest performances of all time can give you a better understanding of a life circumstance that you may or may not ever experience. And I think that performance, I remember watching that film. I watched it after he won. I didn't see it before he won. I watched oh, it wow. after he won. Yeah. And I was excited. I don't remember what the timing on it was or why I couldn't see it prior. And I remember putting it on going, all right, I want to watch this. The Oscars gave him best actor. I mean, it's got, it's got to be a good performance. Well, and everybody but, thought Chadwick was going to win yeah, immediately, right. you know. But damn, like that yeah. was it is it is one of the most impactful performances I've ever seen. Like it is yep. genuinely amazing. And I uh, listen, I thought I loved Chadwick in that movie in Ma Rainey. I thought it was a, it was Ma Rainey was what he was up for. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and that that performance was amazing. And I would love to have seen him win. I think they're both great performances. That's why I don't, you know, when you pick one or the other, but, but damn, man, that performance, that's a, such a great performance. Unbelievable. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, make sure you guys check it out. Um, audience oh. picks Dave Hammer went with uh, the mask of Zorro, which also oh. stars Antonio Banderas, uh, Anthony Kalal Comertz and others <laughs> says his role in Westworld, which is also a, a very strong performance by mm -hmm. him. Uh, Harry Lichtman and Daniel McDonald says, if it's not Hannibal Lecter, then the father Nelson says mm -hmm. fracture uh, and Ariel Pace went with the remains of the day. So good choices sure. across the board. Fracture. No one, That's good. No one, no another one fracture. said, uh, no one, no one said me. No one said me. No one said me. Joe black. No, mm, yeah. maybe probably, when we probably play, because uh, they're too emotionally yeah, devastated cool. to type. When we play a uh, Claire Forlani blend, uh, that'll probably come back up. Come Wait, back Claire Forlani, she's from Mallrats, right? She is also from Mallrats. Oh, yes, I, I, I think that. she got Joe Black because of think, Mallrats. Actually, honestly, what? That's awesome. Yeah, Kevin Smith, I mean, man, he's connected to everything. Because I think <laughs> really, that this is the movie she did shortly after Mallrats. So I, I always had a gigantic crush on her because of yes, Mallrats. Like, I, 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 it's funny. I don't. And is Jason she Lee. still. Working today? No, no, not at all. No, 
Uh, not that I'm not that I'm aware I was of. Say she not might at be. all. Do you know that for sure? <laughs> no, but yeah, no, not, I, I feel like I haven't of. seen her in a lot of films, and I, I was, thought she was a great actor. I really do. I thought she was. Great. I, mean, I love her in Mallrats. I mean, where are my just... uh, Clarets? Come on, Clarets, weigh in and tell me what Claire Flor- Forlani has been up to. She, in she a long is still time. working. She is working in hey. television. She is going to be Allmark? in Twilight of the Mallrats. Oh yes, that's right. Uh, that's right. Yeah. They're doing a sequel. If that happens. Still work. I, I, I would like to interview her. I've never interviewed her before. Wow. So much participation this week. Thank you for everybody who playing along with Sir Anthony Hopkins for next week. Reach out on Twitter using uh, hashtag Marvel Duo Blend and let us know your pick via email at realblend.com. You're picking uh, a Marvel Duo. Gabe, clarify this a little bit for yeah, us. Yes. So next week is Black Panther week. Black Panther uh, 2. Um, so... The MCU has a number of sort of team ups or like character duos or fun stuff. And so you're going to send in your favorite character duo in the MCU. Can you give an Interesting. You're thinking of like, like Ant-Man and, and Cap, the Wasp. Cap and right? Bucky. Um, you're thinking oh, of Thor okay. and Hulk. You know, like, like, the, like they have a lot of great scenes together. Rocket and Groot. One of my favorite that I think is underrated is Hawkeye and Scarlet Witch. I think they're okay. The handful of scenes that they have together are always really good. Yeah. Okay, um, this, oh, I like this. I was just trying to get an idea. This is fun. Of, I like so, yeah. this. Is, I wish you could do this. This is cool. She, she, Hulk, and shared, like, she yeah. Hulk and Megan the Stallion. She Hulk and Megan the Stallion. But do they have to have done like multiple scenes? There are no parameters. Like, just your favorite duo, favorite character duo. duo. Like it, it, yes. it can be, can be for any reason. It can be for one particular like, scene. Bucky can also be with Sam. Like they've been a number of things. Yeah, it has to be a superhero, right? It can't be like no. It can't be like Jacob. Can it be Jacob Batalon and 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 Spider Man? Like, is that is that? I would sure say you have a really weird taste, but you're welcome. I'm to not going it. to. You're welcome <laughs> to choose the parameters. There yes, no of parameters. course, it could be. It could be uh, duos. I'm gonna choose Spider Man and that dude that says, "Do a flip, Spider Man." There you go. That's a powerful. Don't give your pick away. Oh, Save it for next week. <laughs> sorry. First right. time in Hansu is like. He's like, I'm Star-Lord. He goes, who? who? <laughs> I always love that. I always <laughs> love when he says who. It's so good. All right. Uh, we're going to have a premium episode that's dropping on Monday. So check the description below for where you can uh, sign up to get your access to premium episodes. In the meantime, we'll be back very, very soon uh, with brand new episodes. Follow us on social media <clears throat> in between at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach. And the show is at Real Blend. This is tough, guys, because... Uh, we're bringing the show to a close and uh, we don't have anything fun to shout anymore. So, a man um, called Otto. Well, there you go. What happened to hockey pads? The way hockey of pads hockey. is still relevant. The way of water. The way of water. The yeah. abyss. There yeah. <laughs> Wait, do you think the Avatar 2 is going to have like sponsorships by water companies like Aquafina? Aquafina. And, like, 100%. Uh, 100%. Like, Dasani is going to be like the, <laughs> it's going to have like an 100%. Avatar Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.